in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunkers. I'm leaving that in. Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone. And with me, as always, is your co-host, the trickster, Andy Hart. <laughs> it is me, the impish little fellow known as Andy. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, you little goblin. Look at you, goblin-looking motherfucker. Bunkers, Andy looks like a little goblin boy. Yeah, I'm, I'll tell you one thing, I'm goblin. Everything I can see. Those fucking uh, gummy nerds. Oh, my God. Yeah. Bungfuckers, if you haven't tried nerds clusters, yeah. go out and buy yourself a bag and then gorge yourself on them because they are tasty. Engorge your nerds, Nads. Uh, this this uh, opening sponsored by nerds. <laughs> That's right. Local, Locally made here in Chicago, the <laughs> Ferrara Candy Company of really? Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. For real. Nerds. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, look at that, Bunk Funkers. You got a little factoid here. Factoid. Um, you know, that Ferrara, that factory that's out by the airport. So if oh. you drive out there on the tri-state uh, in the mornings, the whole air is perfumed with the smell of chocolate, which I don't know how you Bunk Funkers feel about it. I'm not too keen on that smell that comes the industrial chocolate smell. Why? I don't know. I don't care for it. <laughs> You prefer a more of like industrial asbestos smell or something else like yeah, that? Yeah, industrial chemicals, industrial lubricants, uh, industrial waste. Uh, it all smells good to me. Well, speaking of all those things, Andy, I think today's topic involves a little bit of industry and a little bit of, when you think of like heavy industry, you think of a little bit like seedier area, a little bit a little bit more dirty, a little ooh, bit more unclean. Ooh, ooh, yeah. We think of... We think of grimy London in the Industrial yes. Revolution and Birmingham, ooh, in the north, ooh, manufacturing town. That's right. Where there's all these grimy people That's going right. home at night to their shabby houses and their 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 portly wives and their many children. <laughs> ooh, it's so seedy it's so seedy and i think today's topic it fits right into that except it's uh from your home state of ohio <laughs> what we're talking about the cleveland torso murders wow the cleveland torso murders yeah it's a series of of this was, unsolved this was the uh, crimes the, yeah the 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 other 
you know, way back when in like the 1930s, uh-huh. there was another baseball team <laughs> in Cleveland, the Cleveland Torsos. That's right. And that team doesn't exist anymore because they all got murdered. <laughs> well, right? No, Andy, no, not at all. Oh. Uh, this is another. Uh, okay, there shining... was before the Cavaliers, there used to be the Cleveland Torsos. <laughs> oh. They were the ABA, the Cleveland Torsos, and that right. team doesn't exist anymore because they all got murdered. No, 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 Andy. This this does take place in the 1930s. Wow. It do, does take place in a vagrant uh, uh, area known as uh, Kingsbury Run, uh-huh. also known as the Hobo Jungle, okay. which we'll talk about. And it was a series of gruesome, grisly murders by an uncaught serial killer Ooh. where he dissected and dismembered the bodies. So much like your precious nerds clusters, they found clusters of human body parts. Wow. And had to piece these murders together. The kind of the fun history connection for you fucking sicko history hogs out there is Elliot Ness, famed untouchable man. (laughs) Although uh, you can touch him if you ask nicely. (laughs) That's right. You can untouch him if you wine him and dine him. Um, Was involved in this. He was the public safety director. He was the murderer. Oh. (laughs) He was not the murderer. Damn. He was the Thought public safety it. director of Cleveland at the time. Wow, interesting. So this is like Cleveland's own Jack the Ripper. A little bit, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Cleveland's own Jack the Ripper. Except these weren't whores, these were hobos. <laughs> well, some of them might have been. Wow, hobo whores. <laughs> That's right. The hobo whores. Uh, Bugfuckers, if you can't wait to dissect and dismember this whole enchilada on the Cleveland Torso murderers, uh, of course, as always, you can look in the show notes. There'll be a timestamp. You skip directly to it. Yeah. Um, but first, Andy and I got to tell you about... You can we- you can cut up this <laughs> this broadcast. Cut up this. You can dismember slice, this fucking podcast. Slice right through this intro. <laughs> That's right. Uh, which I think a lot of people would prefer if it got murdered. Definitely. Uh, and then, you know, skip right to the delicious torso of the research. That's right. Um, but Andy, we got to talk about how we got abducted. Yeah, we do have to get talked. And you know what? Um, like so many so many abduction tales that we've told... Over the last few weeks, this is really well. They aren't tales; they're one hundred percent true. Well, yeah, and people I mean, keep saying, "Come on, like," but like I don't know what you guys want us to say. Everything said on this podcast is one hundred percent true all right, at so, all times. All right, so that's fair. So let me re- let me rephrase it's that. Lore, and so these these <laughs> excerpts from the lore, these abduction events on which we're reporting, so many of these have started in a good place for me and Art. Something positive gets turned really negative, and we end up here in the bunker. And this week is exactly the same thing. Now, a lot of you bunk funkers don't know this, but yep. Art and I jointly, as a package deal, the two of us together, not individually, both of us at the We're same time. We're a package time. deal when we do certain creative aspects together. Right. And one of the things we've been working on is getting our modeling career off the ground. Uh, so Only some of you bunk funkers have seen what we look like. You can, of course, if you join the Patreon there's a video where we're cooking we fully do, in the nude. Right. And we do send you pictures of ourselves constantly That's to right. your private email. That's right. Unsolicited. That's right. And no matter how much you block us, we will create new email addresses. <laughs> so um <clears throat> we're 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 <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't say struggling models, but we're No. We're new unless you say struggling with mental health problems. Right. <laughs> then of course, yes, we're struggling models. <laughs> We're just rookie models. We're rookie models. We're amateur models. We're amateur models, right? We're waiting for the right gig. Right, right. Look, we've, you know, we've been, um, you know, we did recently, we've had a few gigs, okay? Yeah. I'll be honest. We've had a few gigs. 
Um, we got really close to a couple gigs too. Mm-hmm. We got to be, you know, we've done some live events, which is models are always in demand for this. So we got to be, we went to the, um, you know, here in Chicago, there's a lot of uh, festivals. That's right. Right. This is like a big, I think a festival. We love a festival city. here. Close so, down a whole fucking street and let's just eat right, ribs. Right. So we went to the uh, <laughs> West Town uh, Wing and Wrestling Fest and we got to be what they call wingside uh, girls for the yeah, for the right. event. So, oh you know, we got to be the people who when, you know, we're they like coated us in, up a, the in, a, crowd. in a sauce. Yeah, we're they coat us in, in a sauce. Yeah, it was very spicy. It really burned you my You were eyes. a spicy habanero. Yeah, I, I went with the classic barbecue. Right. I should have gone with one that didn't have so much pepper in it because it really burned my eyes yeah. and, you know, burned off my corneas. <laughs> and so we were wingside uh, attendants for this for these wrestling matches, you know, making sure that the crowd gets amped up. We were holding up signs that were made of chicken. We were, you know, feeding the wrestlers wings yeah. in between rounds, which is what they need. They need protein. Yeah, they need that protein. So we've done a few gigs. We've we've we, we had we're some very close to becoming the mascot for Jolly Bees. We were the right. Jolly Bee Bee, but right. we got fucking beat out. We have a very similar body type yeah. to that bee. Yeah, I was, and you know, the Jolly Bee Bee. Not a lot of people know this, but it's sort of like a it's like a a pantomime horse costume. So where there's two, it takes two people to do it, which was perfect for us. So I was the B and Art was the ass. I was the, the thorax. Yeah, he was the, the ass. thorax. He was the ass of the B. Nope, the thorax. The Andy. ass of the B, the thorax. They don't have an ass. It was a thorax. The thorax, yeah. So, you know, it worked out great, but I guess I'm just not good enough dancer. Yeah. But I am a good model. I mean, I we're think, good models. Yeah, I think my poses as the B were pretty sexy. I mean, I think Probably I maybe want to buy chicken. Yeah, I think I was a pretty fuckable bee, but <laughs> they also expect you to be a good dancer, and I'm just not that yeah. coordinated. I don't know that many moves. Well, it was like it was like, you know, when you get the when you get the sides or the brief for uh, you know becoming a model, they you know they obviously they send you briefs which you right. wear, but then they also send you a brief which is like a summary of what they mm-hmm. want you to do, and it's like, well, you want us to be a bee, but we're not going to sting people, right? Of course, we're going to walk around the restaurant stinging the children. Flying into people's soda cups, having people shoo us away. That's bee behavior. Right. We don't communicate with any kind of like, we communicate through dance. We were covered in pollen. We showed up covered in pollen. And they said, that's fucking, no, fucking get that. We got the whole restaurant dusty. Yeah. It's really, it's really kind of a shame that so many people don't appreciate realism in their mascots. <laughs> because it took us a long time to get all of this bee toxin. <laughs> That we were going to use to sting people, and we barely got to use it. We got to milk so many bees. Yeah, yeah. It was that really one, sad. that one was that was a missed opportunity. But you know, not everybody's an artist. But no, recently we found a campaign that I think aligns with our values as models, being true artists, and what they wanted to do. And that, of course, was Abercrombie and Fitch. Right. Yeah. We very popular brand right now. Yeah. And if there's one company that aligns <laughs> with our values. It's Abercrombie and Fitch. Big time. Whatever is going on with Abercrombie and Fitch right now in the public media, 100% we line up with. No, I have not done a search for Abercrombie and Fitch in like 20 fucking years. I don't know what's going on, but we're going to go on record and say that we are totally into it. So when they called us and they said, we need two models who work jointly together and not two individual models, we were like, Oh, we're your fucking guys. We were like, stop talking and sign the contract. (laughs) And it turns out this was a great boon for us because they're starting a new campaign 
called Schlubby Losers. Yeah, they have a so, Schlubby Loser line. So Abercrombie, of course, is very famous for its ad campaigns featuring shirtless guys, shirtless hunks, hunky men, all these hunks, hunks around everywhere. The mid aughts, you right. would you would walk down the mall. And you would have these shirtless, hunky guys standing outside with their hard nipples because it's cold in a mall. They're not wearing shirts, but they are wearing pants mm -hmm. and distressed jeans. And they they smell of cologne. It's dark and there's music. There's like LMFAO playing yeah. constantly. There's so Party much rock is in the house tonight. And it's just like, whoa, what is going on here? There's, I want to be a part of it. Yeah, there's so much cologne. It dulls your senses. You get a little bit lightheaded. You, if you stay too long, you get a headache. And this is great. You can totally just, you can just fucking, uh, you know, just, uh, you can just abuse the fuck out of these models. You can take pictures with them. You can treat them like giant hunks of meat. It's fucking awesome. You'd be like, come over here, you stupid fucking idiot. Come take a shirt with me. Show me your fucking V line that, that connects to your fucking penis area. Whatever that muscle's called. Your that crotch it, V. The crotch V, the Adonis muscles. Yeah. You know, you're just grabbing them, touching them. It's awesome, dude. Right. It's freaking sick. So we said, this is for us. So fucking cool. We want that. Yeah. We want people to ask. We want people to come over to us, treat us like shit, grope us, tell us, show me your fupa. We want this. <laughs> we want this stuff. Yeah. And so this was perfect because it was like, we totally matched both ends of the campaign. It was like right. me. It's like. We, you know, obviously schlubby loser can can encapsulate a lot of different things. So I was capturing kind of that like, you know, almost skeletal like uh, basement dweller, near perfect scoliosis bod, um, nerd neck. My neck fucking extends like three feet in front of my face. I look like a velociraptor. Um, just disgusting. The pants barely fit on my hipless body. Yeah. I have such narrow hips. It was wonderful. I, I fit that area perfectly. Right, yeah. And yeah. I definitely look like a like a dad who can't stop drinking. Um I, you know, the pants don't fit me either, but it's because I can't get them buttoned. Um, you know, there I'm sweating constantly. Yeah. I look always disheveled. Uh -huh. I breathe heavily just sitting still. So I think really we, I look like somebody who's never achieved anything yeah, and I, and never will right. because I'm probably going to die soon. Right. Uh, and I don't have any prospects anyway, even if I didn't die soon. So I think really we, we, we totally, we just, were a slam dunk. We were a slam fucking dunk. We're standing outside of this Amber Crombie Fitch. You know, I mean, uh, the, 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 the music is bumping. The music is blasting. All this cool music's been mm -hmm. played and. We're standing out there shirtless, just fucking spritzing people with cologne as they walk by. <laughs> yeah, just right in the eyes. Yeah. We've got, we had like squirt guns, fucking old school super soakers full of this Amber Crombie cologne, just fucking spraying people. The one or two people who were still in the mall. Yeah. Who were just trying to look for the Jamba Juice. We're fucking, or they're, they're like, ah, where's the Auntie Anne's pretzel? Just all over their face. Yeah. There's, they're walking through this darkened mall where the Abercrombie's the only store left on that. You had to feel Wing. sad for the state of malls in America because, I mean, there really wasn't a lot of business. No, no. Malls are a dying thing, and it's it's very sad. I I miss being able to walk into a weird, huge building yeah. where there's a lot of stores that I won't even bother to look in right. because that has nothing that I'm interested in, yeah. even remotely. Uh -huh. uh, and then- You're you just know. looking for Spencer's gifts. Yeah, I'm looking for Spencer's gifts. I need a sex toy and a sassy t-shirt. And a cool belt. Yeah. A really fucking cool belt. I need a belt where the buckle it looks like bullets. Is Stewie's head <laughs> from Family Guy. 
<laughs> you fucking need that, dude. <laughs> you need that. <laughs> That's what's going to make you. Oh, Christ. So we're sitting there. We're modeling from this fucking Abercrombie and Fitch for hours. We only got like two people walking by because malls are dead. It's not because of us. No. Um, Had nothing to do with us. It's just But the then state this of malls. one guy, this weird fucking dude dressed up as a mall cop comes segueing over. I mean, this mm -hmm. dude reeks of yeah. cigarettes. Yeah. He's got at least 40 cheeseburgers in his little Segway pouch in the front. You ever seen these, a Segway basket? Yeah, these are like fresh, hot cheeseburgers, too. Because this guy's like... He's fresh, like, hot, loose cheeseburgers, not in bags. No, they're loose. And so this guy is like sort of like a cheeseburger snail, in a sense, because <laughs> there's like... There's a small, there's a drip, drip, drip of grease drip, drip, drip falling grease. all over the mall. So, you know, you can see him segueing around and people are slipping, falling on the grease <laughs> right into the hot grease. You know, it's just a little bit, but you, it's these slick tile floors yeah, of the mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just, people just going down on their backs like turtles. <laughs> and so um, this guy, you know, he, he, he fucking segues over to his, and, you know, he, he couldn't get the thing to park correctly, so he kind of kept spinning. And he's like, oh, one second, one second. Yeah, he's, he was just spinning around in a circle for a yeah. couple of seconds. It was funny. But uh, eventually he stops. He goes, wow, you guys are looking good. Yeah. He starts really complimenting us. Yeah. He's really into us. And he's like, strike a couple poses for me. Yeah, he was really like, aggressive. And so we were getting excited because this was our dream yeah. was to be objectified. So, this so guy's we to recreated do it. so many classic poses. There was the one. Um, have you ever seen that sun that sunscreen lotion where it's like the little girl and the dogs pulling her bathing suit, which Top is like yeah. fucking like a little fucked up. Actually, yeah. when you actually think about it, but we recreated yeah, that. Yeah, when you think about it, that an adult human drew that. Yeah, that an adult human yeah. was like, you know what would be good for this sunscreen is a dog exposing the <laughs> naked ass of a child, so you can see the child's tan lines. <laughs> Some fucking sicko right. sat down and was like, you know what would be, you know what really encapsulates our brand? A naked child's ass being exposed accidentally by a dog. All right. Coppertone needs a new look, fellas. We need a top tier graphic designer. Who do we got? I know this great guy. He's fucking top tier. All right. All right. Well, what's the downside? He's a pedophile, <laughs> but he draws a great, he draws a great fucking brand image. Capertone. We recreated that. That was yeah. really sexy. He yeah, was really that was into really that. Sexy, yeah. You were the dog. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was the ass. Yeah. Just like the bee thing. Like I the was the thing. dog and Art I was, was the, the thorax, ass. Andy. I was ass. the thorax. Art was the ass of the child. I was I was the thorax. Uh, <laughs> and nice tan lines, by the way. Thank you. You didn't prepare for that, but no. you had them. Well, I frequently get lost in the sun. I'll be outside and the sun just blinds my eyes and I yeah, get really lost. Yeah, you just fall down. Yeah. So um, we also did that classic, you know, the Abercrombie, that famous pose where it's that was on all the bags that you get in the store where it's just <laughs> like, you know, the the shirtless guy and it's just his abs. Yeah. Yeah. So I recreated that, um, which is just my ab. I only have one ab. <laughs> I don't have abs. It's just an ab. Just an ab. Um, we also, you know, recreated that famous, um, that famous pose for victory in Europe day where the sailor is kissing That's that woman right. in Times Square. That's right. Um, we recreated the uh, Sistine Chapel mm -hmm. ceiling. 
we recreated um wow we did a lot of stuff we did and he was into all of it but you know by the end we were kind of we kind of had run through all of our poses i mean mm-hmm. those were all of our classics right what and we're just like for. all right well give me some more and it was kind of like i mean we were kind of we were kind of gassed out like yeah. we didn't really have anything in the tank a lot of people don't realize that modeling is not that easy it's really hard yeah it's really hard you got to be focused it really takes a special kind of artist to be able to do it and yeah. obviously like you know we're up for the challenge don't get me wrong but like to just walk up to a couple of models like us and ask us to just go through our whole fucking catalog of posts. Like, you know, there's some stuff that we can't give away yet because we got to mm-hmm. save that for the casting directors and the casting couch. Right. And, um, you know, we just can't, we can't give away everything. And this guy was getting really frustrated with us. And so we said, well, how about you give us a couple of those fucking cheeseburgers so we can refuel our bods? Like, right. it takes a lot to keep up this schlub. I was like, you give us a couple of those cheeseburgers and we'll give you a Paris Hilton Hardy's commercial right now in this mall. Yeah. We'll fucking do it. We'll throw down motherfucker. You can, you can squirt us with a hose of Abercrombie cologne while we mouth these burgers and big mistake. Don't ever ask this guy for his cheeseburgers. No. I mean, he just immediately starts, you know, he pulls out his fucking taser gun. Mm-hmm. He starts tasing the shit out of us, starts beating us with his Billy club, his, 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 his mall, his mall cop approved Billy club His mall baton, his mall baton. <clears throat> and he's just beating us to a fucking pulp. And then, um, he fucking zip ties us. Yeah. And drags us off. We were being dragged by a Segway in the burger grease, in the snail grease, dragged us all the way to the bunker. Turns yeah. out that security guard. Guess what? Bunk bunkers. Guess what? Be- beefers. Beefers. Fucking Mr. Bunker. Do you believe that? Can you believe that? Did anyone see that one coming? At least, I'll say this, at least this time, we did get some protection from the floor and the road and everything from the burger grease. It was bad We were good and greased up. We were like, it was like we were covered in baby oil. Ah, you know, bug funkers, what do you, I mean, we're just trying to live our lives. Yeah, what are you supposed to do about stuff like this? I I mean, people tell us you should be more aware. How can you not see this happening? This right. is so obvious. We it's were just, just working. We're just we're, we're just doing our thing. We're trying to be successful, sexy, fuckable models. And yet here we are just being taken advantage of by somebody pretending to be a mall security guard. One of the most respected positions in society. Art and I defer on almost everything to mall security guards <laughs> because these people are so disrespected and they've done nothing to deserve it. I blame the Paul Bart mall. I put Paul Bart. Mall Cop franchise for that was a very inaccurate movie. Very inaccurate movie. Very uh, just, you know, you hate to see anti mall cop sentiment. Yeah. Another one of our creative projects. I mean, spoiler alert, bunk funkers. We didn't we weren't ready to really reveal this, but we've been sort of forced into it now because we've just the discussion has gone this way. We're working on a documentary uh, that's going to that goes into the life of a mall cop, the life and times of mall cops. And you're going to I think you're going to see that. It's not as, these people aren't as bad as they seem. That's right. And so for Mr. Bunker to dress up like a mall cop and do that, you know, malls are, malls are just American. That's Americans pastime. It's American tradition. We hate seeing the end of the mall. Right. Um, and um, it's just, it's heartbreaking. So shame on Mr. Bunker. None of this is our fault. We're innocent. We're fucking cool. We're hot models. Um, and you know what they say about malls? What's that? Once you've seen one, you've seen them all.
I'm glad he tased you extra for that. I'm glad he went for the balls. <laughs> Your mall's balls. Yeah, well, you know, those pants were falling down because they don't fit. <laughs> yeah. So they were all crumpled around my ankles. So my balls were really but easy. But you look to get great in those Abercrombie and, and, and Fitch briefs that you were wearing. I know. And they wash really nice. Do they? Yeah. They get all the stains out? Yeah. I mean, I always have a lot of stains in the back of my briefs. That's right. <laughs> well, anyway, bunk bunkers, um, you know, we were nearly dismembered here. I mean, we were dragged through what felt like yeah. the hobo jungle. Um, but now we're actually going to talk it was actually about a retail jungle. The retail jungle. Um, we're actually going to talk about it now uh, with the uh, the Cleveland Torso Murders. So get ready for some true crime action here on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. Sexy. Andy? Yeah? And the beefers? Beefers? Murder. It's bad. It's a bad thing, and it's something we shouldn't do because it's bad. In fact, it's so bad, they even have a law passed by the governments saying, don't murder. <laughs> well, Andy, I guess today's topic this week didn't get the memo, bunk funkers, because in Cleveland, Ohio, during the 1930s, there certainly wasn't the Cleveland Torso Ice Screamer. It was the Cleveland Torso Murders. They're bad, Andy. Murder's bad. Murder is bad. Uh, It's one of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Thou shalt not murder. These Cleveland Torso Murders were committed by an unsolved, unidentified serial killer. Also known as the Kingsbury Run Torso Murderer and the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run, the Cleveland Torso Murderer were a series of gruesome slangs involving an almost surgical dismemberment of 12 known victims and possibly, Andy, many more. Their bodies were disposed of in an impoverished and rundown area of Cleveland called Kingsbury Run, sometimes referred to as the Roaring Third or the Hobo Jungle, known for its bars, gambling dens, brothels, and vagrants. Ugh, Hobo Jungle. My favorite pizza parlor arcade as a kid, Andy. It's like if Chuck E. Cheese was located in the underpass of a train stop. <laughs> Andy, are you familiar with Cleveland's seedier areas? This this takes place in your favorite home state of Cle- of Ohio. You're not from Cleveland, no. but you love Ohio. Are you familiar <clears throat> with Cleveland's seedier areas? No, I am not. I don't believe you. I have never been to the seedy areas. I know. You've frequented quite a few glory holes in Cleveland. Come on. You can air it out. It's okay. Yeah, well... Along the turnpike, which runs through the northern part of Ohio, there are plenty oh, of- is that what you call the Johns that you service? Plori- plenty of- You turn in their pikes? Pl- plenty of glory holes to be serviced at. And yes, sure, I've gone into a few glory holes and you know, I've helped truckers empty their loads. Yeah, re- re- yeah, relieve themselves. Yeah. They're driving a long, long time. Yeah. Well- I want to describe, I want to bunk funkers and, and Andy, I want to put you in the mindset. This is 1930s, you know, uh, sh- like shanty towns. It's a shanty town built outside of Cleveland. Yeah. 
Um, and I want to put you into that mindset. I think I, and I, I, wanna, I also want to shout out one of the sources that I use pretty heavily for this. Yeah. Cause I think it's probably one of the best. <clears throat> um, Marilyn Bardsley wrote like a great, 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 like uh piece for crimelibrary.com. It will be in the show notes in the description. Here's how she describes Kingsbury run. Let's just close your mind's eye and put your, put yourself, put yourself in, in this place. Bunk bunkers. Kingsbury Run cuts across the east side of Cleveland like a jagged wound, ripped into the rugged terrain as if God himself had tried to disembowel the city. At some points, it's nearly 60 feet deep, a barren wasteland covered with patches of wild grass, yellowed newspapers, weeds, empty tin cans, and the occasional battered hull of an old car left to rust beneath the sun. Perched upon the brink of the ravine, narrow frame houses huddle close together, keep a silent watch on the area. Kingsbury Run is like an open sore, festering with refuse and decay. Yet among the old tires and empty wine bottles exists a small city of nomadic men, swept into the ravine by the wave of depression that surged across the country in the 1930s. Their squat cardboard and tin shacks dot the ominous landscape. Small campfires penetrate the darkness, illuminating the rugged and desperate ugliness of the run. The men lay sleeping, their heads against the cool earth, oblivious of the haunting wail of passing freight trains. Is that something or what? Wow, yeah. Does that puts you in the fucking, like, this is a... <clears throat> That's a mood setter right this there. This is a mood setter. This is the area that we're in, Bunk yeah. Bunkers. Um, so let's talk about it. Between 1935 and 1938, the Cleveland Torso Murderer claimed 12 known victims. That's a high body count. Though, some speculate the body count could have been as high as 20. Whew, that's crazy. That's a lot. Some even believe the last victims, the, the victims last from the 1920s until the 1950s. That's a 30-year span, bunk funkers. In Orange, just in Cleveland, but also in Youngston and Pittsburgh. Am I saying that right? Youngstown? Yeah, you do call it Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is correct. <laughs> oh, man, murder was all the Youngston? rage back then. Yeah, Youngston. Youngstown, what is it? Youngstown. Youngston. Youngston. Sounds like sounds like you tried to say tungsten, but you spelled it with a J. Is it? I thought it was, I thought it was Youngstown, but they pronounce it Youngston. I've never heard anybody say Youngston. Well, fuck it. Who cares? If you're from Youngstown, let us know. <laughs> Who do you think does that? I don't know. Or why do you think Ohio? That? Why do you think that? I don't know. Because it's Ohio. Look, there are a lot of places in Ohio. It's Le- it's Lima, but we pronounce it Lima. No, it's the other way around. It's oh, Lima, it. but we pronounce it Lima. Just like there's Berlin up by the lake, but right. they call that Berlin. Right. Um. So I'm not wrong. Well, you are wrong <laughs> oh, in this fuck case, you. but the mad butcher liked to prey on people like my uncle Smiley, drifters. Not that I thought, you know, about my uncle Smiley that way. No, Siri. I remember every time he'd come into town, I'd be so excited. I'd wait at the end of my uh, street, Andy, and you'd hear him before you ever saw him. Scream! He'd be screeching on his fucking badass Camaro coming in, my uncle Smiley, man. You know, they actually, uh, he fucking ruled. They made a movie about him. The guy who liked to drive fast and was occasionally very angry. What was that? Oh, I'm just getting word through this earpiece. Yeah, from our producer. The torso killer didn't kill race car drifters. 
Oh. He killed drifters and vagrants. Yeah. People who were considered lower class. Oh, I see. Oh. You misunderstood as like a Tokyo drifter. Wow. This. I'm going to rethink this whole fucking thing. Yeah, at first <laughs> I thought your Uncle Smiley was a hobo. No, stop saying that about my Uncle Smiley. He was a cool race car driver. They made a movie about him. Yeah. <laughs> Did he ever fix his anger problems? No. Oh. The torso murderers always beheaded. He, the torso murderer always beheaded their victims, and more often they would dismember them too. Um, most of the male victims were also castrated. Mm-hmm. And many of the victims before showed, or after the murder? Uh, after. Okay. And but some maybe while they were alive. But they they weren't. And we'll get into it. But you got to think, they weren't castrated for other reasons. No. Well, I don't the know. Murderer. We don't know them. We'll get into it. But it's like think about this too, bunk funkers. Like you think, oh yeah, dismemberment. Ha ha ha. It's actually fucking hard to dismember a head. That's like actually a fucking crazy way to fuck it. Who what? thinks that? I don't know. Who goes dismemberment? Ha 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 ha. Well, listen, bunk funkers. If you have that thought, <laughs> you should consider talking to somebody. <laughs> Dismemberment. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we'll see. <laughs> oh, castrated. Oh. You hear the word dismemberment and it's just a word. You don't actually think about the act of it. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, it's a very fucking, like that's a crazy thing to kill people by cutting their heads off. Yeah. The, the amount of work and we'll get into it. Cause it's like, there's blood everywhere. You, you have to actually be like physically strong to do it. Yeah. Um, so we'll get into that. How that plays into who this killer was or wasn't. Um, Many of the victims showed bizarre signs of some kind of chemical treatment being applied to their bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, Forensic science was still very much in its infancy back then. And this actually likely contributed to the serial killer's ability to go undetected for such a lengthy period of time. Many of the victims were found well after their deaths, some a year later than their perceived time of death. So, We'll cover the timeline of victims, but like the actual timeline of who was killed when is totally off. We're we're gonna cover them based on when they were found. Um part of what makes this case um you know interesting, besides the ghastly nature of the murders, is the fact that famed law enforcer and leader of the untouchables, which, you know, the untouchables you know, is it to be confused with our group, the Untouchables, which didn't solve any crimes or take down mobsters? It's a group of losers who no one wants to be around or interact with. Right. We didn't give ourselves that name. And we're not incels. No. We're untouchable. We didn't give ourselves that name. Right. Everyone else said we were untouchable. Yeah. Other people. <clears throat> this was Elliot Ness. Famed. Uh, he was in the Untouchables, took down, tried to take down mobsters, took down Al Capone, mm-hmm. bootleggers. Yeah. And before he did all that. He was the public safety director of Cleveland and oversaw the investigation into these killings. Um, We'll dig into more about Ness and his team's contributions to the case. Um, There's some fucking wacky people. Uh, And some bugfuckers will lead it up top. Some very archaic uh, thoughts about uh, how to catch this killer. (laughs) We'll get into it. You know, it was the 1930s. Um... And but some dispute how heavily you know Ness was involved, or if his kind of his reputation preceded him, and it's sort of like a retroactive thing where people go, "Ah, oh, yes, Elliot Ness, he was the hero coming in to save the day." You know how much that actually plays into the real history. He did question and arrest the prime suspect of the killings, though, and he conducted many a hobo shanty raid. 
which there's fucking, am I right? Is there nothing better than getting together with your bros and going for a good old fashioned Shantobo shanty raid? Shanty raid. <laughs> Can we talk about panty raids for a second? Why was that ever a thing? You ever see that episode of SpongeBob where Mr. Krabs t- takes him on a fucking panty raid? Yeah. How did that ever get approved? <laughs> what is the point of the panty raid? I don't because know. That's such a perverted, weird fucking thing to me. You go in and, you know, at least in popular culture, right. I've never done a panty raid myself. But no, me neither. You go in and you just get clean underwear. Well, the fun is the dirty underwear. Well, okay. Nope. What, what's the That's point? That's still fucking disgusting. You could just go to a store and buy clean underwear and imagine somebody wearing them if you're going to jerk off with it. You don't it. have to go break into somebody's house and steal their fucking panties. Right. You could just go to a Macy's. Like, oh, I could imagine that that person was wearing them. It's like, I could imagine any pair of underwear was another being worn by another person. Like, the dirty underwear is the thing you want. I don't know why a panty raid is like a thing, and I don't know how I got approved to be on a SpongeBob episode. <laughs> That's what I want to fucking investigate. Mr. Grabs. <laughs> That episode is so fucking crazy. Mr. Krabs takes SpongeBob and Patrick on a panty raid. And then they fucking... Or no, SpongeBob and Patrick take Mr. Krabs on a panty raid because he's feeling old. And he's like fucking horny as hell. He's like, hell yeah, this is some action. And then they go and they raid his mom's panties. And he steals his own mom's panties and gets in trouble. That's so fucked up. Like, how did that get approved? (laughs) (laughs) Go watch that episode if you okay. haven't seen it. It's a great episode. I've, I feel like I've seen it, but I don't remember the particulars. Are you feeling it now, Mr. Krabs? Uh, let's let's get let's get into it. Let's get into the victims. We're gonna go through all. Did he jerk off with his mom's panties? He was about to. Wow, about to jerk off his little crab penis. You never know. He actually, one thing about SpongeBob they never tell you is like you know how Mr. Krabs has that famous walk. Yeah, yeah. One of those is his penis. One <laughs> that's not all legs. Yeah, it's not all legs. Uh, we're going to go through all 12 known victims. I'm going to give you all the facts and then we're going to talk about kind of the aftermath and um, the main suspects. So let's begin with the first. uh, There are are also some suspected victims that were not included. And there are some suspected victims that were actually found before this victim. But this first victim is really the one that kicked it off where people are like, oh, this is like the first official victim. Right. On September 23rd, 1935, two victims were found. An unidentified man and a man that would later be identified as Edward W. Andrassy. Now, detectives Emil Musil and Orly May, which are those Orly? Now, that's a name. That's a 1930s name. Emil Musil? Yeah. Orly May? Were the first Cleveland policemen on the scene, they found not one, not only one headless man, but two, both washed and drained of blood. The police report dated September 23rd, 1935, and they were found at the foot of East 49th Street and Praha Avenue. Here's a quote from, uh, from kind of the report. The bodies of two white men, both beheaded, lying in the weeds. Both bodies were naked, except one of them had socks on. Wow. You know, both bodies completely naked, except one had socks on. That's right. Kind of like the way you like to sleep. Uh, After an extensive search, the heads of both men were found buried in separate places. One about 20 feet away from one of the bodies. And the other head was buried about 75 feet away from the other body. Both men's penises had been severed from their bodies and were found near one of the heads. 
We also found an old blue coat, light cap, and a blood-stained Union suit. Nearby was a metal bucket containing a small quantity of oil and a torch. It was apparent that the oil, acid, or some chemical was poured over one of the bodies as it was burnt to quite an extent. It was also evident that both bodies had, uh, had been there several days as they had started to decompose. So let's get into it. Victim number one, the unidentified man. Coroner Arthur, great name, wow. Jay Pierce, estimated he was between 40 and 45 years old, approximately five to six inches, five feet, oh, five to six inches tall. He was a fairy, <laughs> a little pixie fairy <laughs> man. No, he was five feet, six inches tall and weighed 165 pounds. Um, lab analysis of the skin of victim one came back showing the, re- the following results. The skin of this victim had a reddish yellow color that was tough, like hard, not unlike bacon rind. Um, <laughs> Yum. Mm. If you were a coroner, you definitely would describe everything in terms of food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was very... Uh... <laughs> the skin was flaky, much like that of a garlic peel. It was drained of blood like hanging meat in a butcher's walk-in. <laughs> the skin was carefully washed in benzoil, dried, and examined under the microscope. Um, the conclusions were appearances together with certain findings to indicate that this body, after death, was saturated with oil and fire applied. The burning, however, was not only sufficient to scorch. The burning, however, was only sufficient to scorch, hence the particular condition of the skin. So the first victim covered in oil, some kind of weird chemical experiment done to it, burned, castrated, cut its head off, drained of blood. This is fucked up. Very fucked up. Second victim, Edward Andrassy, 28-year-old man with blue-gray eyes, brown hair, and a light complexion. He was 5 feet 11 inches tall and approximately 150 pounds. He was nude, except for his black cotton socks. He had eaten a vegetable meal before, shortly before he was uh, killed. Unlike victim one, he was only dead two to three days. So victim one probably dead a while and like preserved with this weird burning and chemical thing. Yeah. Edward Andrassy, only two to three days. They two. found that those the vegetables were like contents of his stomach? Yes. Okay. Where else would they be contents of, Andy? I don't know. He had a little note card where he cataloged all his lunches. <laughs> Sewn into where would they find it? Was it in his mouth? Was he eating vegetables in his mouth? Was he wearing a t-shirt that said, I love vegetables? Or maybe he like voided his bowel and it was all over the ground. (laughs) I like how you go there. You ask the questions everyone's afraid to ask, Andy. That's what makes you so wonderful as an investigative journalist. The questions that people are just too afraid to ask. You will go fucking go there. Yeah. People are too afraid. They say, oh, that's not important. It's irrelevant. It's like everything is relevant when you're investigating a crime. Um, Ed- Andrassi had been murdered by decapitation. There were rope burns on each wrist, meaning he was probably decapitated while fully conscious, hands tied behind his head. Fucking horrible way to go. Since he wasn't dead as long as victim one, he was identified via fingerprints, and his family were also able to identify his corpse at a morgue later on. Andrassy had a bit of a controversial life while he was alive. Uh, He liked to smoke weed. He liked to read pornographic magazines. So far, I mean, it's like an okay dude to me. He once sodomized a married man's wife in front of her husband after falsely claiming to be a medical doctor who could fix 
quote unquote, her woman troubles because she couldn't bear children. Boy, it really ramps up after the weed and porn, huh? Yeah. Was the husband in on this or was the wife in on it? He duped the husband. He duped it's hard the, to tell. He duped the husband. But what yeah. about the wife? No, Andy. He freaking like he oh. came in, pretended to be a doctor. So he, he just, she couldn't bear children. He's like, I'll fix your wife. So he raped a woman. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sodomized a woman. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, it's really was, fucked up. Yeah, that took a turn. Yeah, it does. You read like he likes smoking weed. I'm like, I I could hang out with this guy. I mean, if he was, he just, liked to read pornographic magazines. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, I'm just questioning it because is this just some sort of a run of the mill cuck situation? I don't know. Obviously well, not. He spent some time in Detroit and then pissed off a local Asian gang and had to leave. <laughs> he was arrested. What did he do? I don't know. <laughs> he was arrested multiple times for intoxication and carrying con- carrying concealed weapons. He associated himself with people of bad character, got himself into a lot of trouble. Yeah. He's just. He he's just, a ne'er-do-well. He's a ne'er-do-well. He had a lot of problems. He had drinking problems, gambling problems. These are the type of people that this killer preyed on. Mm-hmm. Vagrants, people who knew they wouldn't be missed. Right. They were lower, quote unquote, lower class. Typical serial killer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you Preying you, on people that right. you think won't be missed. Right. Uh, Andrassi's mother, Helen, told police that two months earlier, a middle-aged man came to their house and said he was going to kill Edward for, quote, paying attention to his wife, end quote. Just before he left home for good, Andrassi had been afraid to leave his house. He had told his sister that he stabbed an Italian in a fight and that the mob was after him. What the fuck? And yeah, he didn't use the word Italian. Oh, did he say Dago? <laughs> Who knows what he said? So, oh. Yeah, something else. So he was stabbing a town. He just he, he just was a troublemaker. Yeah. He got himself involved with the wrong people. He did fucked up shit. Yeah. So when police find his body, obviously, you know, this kind of plays into forensic evidence at the time. They're thinking, okay, this guy had a lot of enemies who came after him, who did this. They're not thinking serial killer. Right. They're not even concerned with the decapitation. <laughs> right. You know? Right. They're like, oh, crime of passion. Yeah. So- They're trying to recreate the timing of events um, since his body was so fresh. They could kind of do that. They couldn't do that with the first body. I mean, decapitation can be a crime of passion. It can. Because it's kind of it's kind of unusual. But yes, I usually am carrying my great sword everywhere I go. And, (laughs) you know, you get into a fight with somebody and you you ask people to bend the knee. And if they don't. Right. You make all their bannermen watch you cut off their kids. Well, you're well, you're fighting them. You know, they trip and they fall and they're. (laughs) Head goes into the stockade, and then you yeah. just slice it off. Yeah, you've got your big old claymore, and that's what you do. Right. Um, this was their theory. The murders were crimes of passion, not racket-related. A woman will be found to have played some part in the case. Again, a little archaic. Okay. The victims were taken to Kingsbury Run after their deaths, mm-hmm. so that's interesting. The two victims knew each other and were killed by the same person. Pretty, pretty good summation there. Did they uh, did they know that or was that well the assumption they made? If you found two bodies that were both decapitated and castrated in a similar sense, I think you could clearly say, "All right, probably the same person." Oh, well, yeah, but I mean that they knew each other, that the victims knew each other. I have no idea how to how that these are you know this is 1930s forensic speculation. Okay, um, got it. The unidentified man was killed first. His body was immersed in some sort of fluid until the killer could trap and murder Andrassy. Each victim, after his hands were tied, was executed by some sharp instrument like a butcher's knife. It was likely that both victims were carried by hand at night, then dumped in Kingsbury Run near a place called Jackass Hill, 
Which, no, Bunk Funkers is not where they film the jackass movies. This isn't where Steve-O and Johnny Knoxville and Wee Man all get together and do their little stunts. Jackass Hill, it's in the Kingsbury Runner. Some guys got killed near Jackass Hill. It's beautiful, Andy. Uh, they surmised this because cars and trucks couldn't get within 100 feet of the ravine where the bodies were found. So mm. they've got these like random leads, but they don't go anywhere because the investigation just goes cold. There isn't enough evidence or leads to pursue, pursue a suspect or killer, right? It's like you, so, only, you ask around and it's like, yeah, Edward Andrassy, he was a piece of shit. Everyone fucking hated him. So then it's like, what do you like? No one's fessing up to the murders. It runs cold. Yeah. And so what we... And so what we probably can surmise that means in the 1930s is that the Cleveland PD beat the hell out of as many suspects as they could <laughs> and nobody would confess to it. Right. And 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 in their days, they thought it had to be like they didn't understand the concept of a serial killer. That will play in a lot. Here. Mm-hmm. Nobody understands that concept. Right. They kind of maybe do a little bit later, but like, this is very much before forensic profiling. Right. The genesis of understanding right. the psyche of a serial killer. Right. Um, so a year goes by, 1936, yeah. no more victims until January 26th of 1936, Florence Genevieve Palillo, uh, her body was found. So detectives found at the Northeast corner of hearts. Oh, uh Oh, it's you. Oh boy. Hearts manufacturing company, Andy. Oh boy. On East 20th street, portions of a human body. Parts of the body were in a half bushel basket and parts were wrapped in a burlap sack along with a suit of two-piece white cotton underwear wrapped in newspapers. The detectives presented the coroner with the lower half of a woman's torso, both of her thighs, and her upper and her right upper extremities. Um, Coroner Pierce, Arthur J. Pierce, great name, determined that the woman had been dead anywhere from two to four days Dismemberment was done with a sharp instrument, like a knife. Again, like the deaths of Andrassi and the Unknown Companion, the edges of the skin were sharply and cleanly cut. Whoever did this was an expert at cutting apart flesh. You know, that that's actually a very keen observation because, you know, you, you don't just fucking hack and slash your way through, you know, skin and flesh and meat and muscle and bone. It's You have to kind of be... A surgeon to understand where you should butcher up a body. It's they're they're they are starting to to form a bit of a profile about what kind of sick fuck is doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, fingerprints were used to identify the victim as Florence uh, Palillo, age forty two. She had been arrested a couple of times in Cleveland and Washington D.C. for prostitution, which was why the police had her fingerprints on file. They were able to identify her. Let's talk a little bit about Flo. Flo was very well liked by those who the police questioned to uncover evidence about her killing, but she had a bad drinking problem and became very violent and aggressive when she was drunk. She also had a string of violent and abusive relationships that often left her abused, beaten. She would, you know, people would see her around town with black eyes in crutches. It's just, it's just none of the victims here were living good lives. It was, it was rough. You know, they didn't end up in Kingsbury Run because, you know, things were going... Because they made it. Because things were going great in Cleveland. Right. <laughs> you know? Was, um... Maybe I don't want to kill Hamlet in the first act here. You don't want to dismember Hamlet's penis in the first dis- act. I don't want to castrate Hamlet in the first yeah. act here, but... 
was Palillo at the time in the investigation, did they connect Palillo with Andrassi and the un yes. known victim? Yes, because the way that the bodies were dismembered, they were like, okay, this probably was the same person. Okay. Uh, Palillo was known to associate with whores, pimps, bootleggers, drug addicts, all of whom had nothing but nice things to say about her. But uh, no one could really offer any evidence as to why she was murdered and dismembered. On uh, February 7th, so that was sometime later, the body parts were discovered on January 26th. So about a week. Yeah. A week. Week or two. Police discovered the rest of Flo's body minus her head. Uh, scattered haphazardly against a fence. The freezing cold winter during the time in Cleveland actually preserved the body parts gruesomely, I mean, extremely well. And this led authorities to see the muscles in the neck were retracted, which meant the severing of her head was the cause of death. The mad butcher of Kingsbury Run had claimed another victim. So it's, they're, they're pushing together that it's all the same victim. Wow. June 5th. This is pretty hideous so far. Very hideous. It's going to get more hideous. Jeez. Uh, June 5th, the tattooed man. Unofficial name. Not his real name. This is a victim. This is a victim. So why does he get a nickname, but the very first victim doesn't? Because there's nothing Nothing stands out. The tattooed man had tattoos. Yeah, but That's they could have called. tried a little harder. Okay. The burned and chemically altered man. The chemically altered man. That's a very cool nickname. These sound like B-list comic books. A chemically altered man. It's just somebody... The dismemberers. It's me, the chemically altered man. I take prescription medication to help my eye blood pressure. <laughs> Meet the tattooed man. I yeah. have ink under my epidermis. This does sound like... These do sound like characters from a pharmaceutical company yeah, commercial. They do. He was found on June 5th, so we go from January to June. Pretty long time. Mm -hmm. Two young boys would set off to go fishing. They discovered a, bu a bundle hidden under a bush and poked it with their fishing pole and outrolled a dead man's head. Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? <laughs> I know. It's so like, it's like a fucking grittier version of Stand By Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like poking a fucking bushel and then a fucking head just rolls. Hey, what's that under there? I don't know. Poke it with your pole. The next morning, police found the naked man's headless corpse um, hidden inside some sumac bushes. Not the sumac bushes. Oh, my goodness. Right in front of the nickel plate police office. So was the body intact? Yeah, for the most part. Okay. Um, so it hadn't been sliced up like. I mean, it was it was decapitated. Okay. Well, yeah, but it wasn't like Palillo. Right. Um, this is important, though, because. Modern day, we look back on this, you can see this is a serial killer toying with people. Mm -hmm. And even then, I think they felt that because the nickel plate police office, their jobs were to like just literally police the train lines. They would they would keep the hobos off the trains. And, you know, and most believe that the Cleveland torso murderer did this on purpose as a is like a grim and sick joke because he liked to prey upon the same train riding victims. Mm -hmm. So he's like, here, look, I'm going to dump a body right in front of your fucking train police and there's nothing you can do about it right this is very much in line modern day this is serial killer behavior back then you know they just thought ah ah some twisted psycho you know like is running amok this is the this is the butcher of kingsbury runs version of like zodiac sending yeah. letters to the exactly the press exactly 
Now, the tattooed man was tall and slender, described as having a handsome face, and likely in his mid-twenties. These fucking corpse descriptions. How bad? Uh, the one. defining characteristics giving his like pseudonym were his six distinct tattoos. He had um, a cupid superimposed on an anchor, a dove under the words Helen Paul, a butterfly. The Where cartoon, were they? I don't know, like all over uh, his body. A cartoon figure jigs, an arrow through the heart, and a standard of flags and the initials WCG. He was, he was probably a sailor. Yeah. Not, not a lot of people had tattoos back then. He wasn't just like a, you know, he wasn't like a fucking Vic Skier riding PB, PBR drinking fucking hipster. <laughs> you know, he was probably like a sailor and those he, tattoos had meaning. He wasn't a professional chef. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't like a hip fucking YouTube chef with a fucking corny ass tattoo of a fucking... Literally a corny st- ass. Yeah, a corny ass or a stupid knife or a fucking fork or like the, the butchering of a pig. Yeah. You fucking chefs. Yeah, like the the you fucking pick the same flash the off the cr- goddamn walls, like the cross section of a cow with yeah, all the cuts labeled, right. the primal cuts. Let labeled. me guess, chef. Oh, how'd you know? No, no, no. Just love to eat beef. <laughs> like to like to remind people which part. Um, again, this is interesting. Police theorize that the man was likely not a local Cl- Kingsbury Run vagrant due to his he was clean shaven, he was well nourished. He had well-kept clothing found near his body. Interesting. It was likely he was killed somewhere else and then brought to Kingsbury Run. Corroborating this was the fact that there was no blood found near his corpse, meaning, you know, he was drained of blood elsewhere and then washed clean. Yet again, the cause of death was decapitation, which is actually, you know, like I said, very rare and a difficult thing to do. Uh... But, you know, ultimately for Cleveland, a gruesome pattern, not unlike their shitty fucking sports teams, was emerging. Yeah. And he was never identified definitively. <laughs> the tattooed man. No. No. Um, <laughs> nobody knows, you know. And and to think about it, it's interesting because it's like now you're saying like this is immediate, like this is serial killer behavior. Yeah. Preying on, on pick mm-hmm. victims, killing them one place, bringing them to a specific place. These are all like, this is fitting into the profile so well. Like, textbook almost right like you got to think decapitation lots of blood lots of evidence um very hard to do you have to be strong you have to fucking know where where you're chopping um you have the corroded artery right there like that's you know so somewhere this this killer is you know doing this and then dragging the victims over to this area now, Plus, don't forget you're like you have bones and stuff. Too, you have bones, like to decapitate. So you have to know where to cut in the vertebrae. That's right. where I'm saying it's like this was somebody with some surgical knowledge. Somebody knows something. Yeah, exactly. At this point, the murders really start to become like a sensation. Um, kind of at this time in 1936, there was like high-profile political campaigns happening in Cleveland. The Republican National Convention was happening there. The Great Lakes Expo was happening there. It was coming up. And newspapers were fucking going wild, just bashing Cleveland, being like, there's a psycho fucking killer on the loose. There's a maniac in Cleveland. Like, Cleveland was getting shit on, dude. Which, you know, Cleveland. Not undeserved. (laughs) You want me to sit here and tell you that they don't deserve it? But it is unfortunate because at the time, like we keep saying, the concept of serial killer was not known. Was it a thing? So you had all these investigators like sitting around going, what's this sicko's motive? Jealousy? Anger? 
what could lead him to chop people's heads off and then drag the bodies. It's like, bro, he's a demented serial killer. It's there's a there's something that happened in his either his childhood or something growing up that led him to to develop this this non this this psychopathic behavior where he feels no empathy for his decisions. They didn't to, get that. To your point, though, <laughs> this was that would have been very obscure for the time. Very to, obscure to think about that. They about, they were like it had to have be, it had to have been some kind of crime of passion, right? Uh, maybe maybe they all were lovers. They were they were cheating on his wife or or something, some kind of passion. They they they, they were in business together and yeah. they they cheated him out of some business. It's like he decapitated them. Come on. <laughs> If this is somebody's crime of passion, that person has a lot of demons. <laughs> they got a lot of passion. Like if that's if that's your crime of passion is that you get so wound up in the moment that you lure somebody somewhere where you can decapitate them, drain their body of blood, wash the body, and then return the body someplace else. That's that's extreme amounts of passion. <laughs> that's a lot of passion. That's a lot of passion, baby. Now Elliot Ness was the one kind of pushing that it was likely only one killer. That was like a big thing. It was like, well, is this multiple people cutting people's heads off? I think we see that a lot with a lot of these older cases, yeah. though, right? Where law, law enforcement, law they, enforcement, they come in and they're like, oh, well, this is probably just a copycat because they do think that it's crimes of passion. So, oh, one person did it and then a bunch of other people just copy it. Right. So it is kind of a, it's kind so of a big breakthrough to say this is it one. Is discreet killer ness is like no it's got to be one dude because of the decapitation every mm -hmm. single decapitation was like same it was surgical mm -hmm. it was it was well done it was clean mm -hmm. somebody who knew what they were doing it's got, it's got to be one person mm -hmm. so they're still fucking kerfluffled july 22nd an unidentified another unidentified man was found we'll start going a little bit quicker through some of these because um less and less evidence gets found about like those first couple of victims like that's the most evidence tattoos florence palillo andrassi those are like the two where they know the most about them mm -hmm. everyone else is just like it's an unidentified person and their body's all fucked up so yeah uh another body was discovered in kingsbury run decapitated this one was unique in that he was killed likely two to three months earlier as his body and head were far into de the decomposition process but it was also unique that this was likely the first Cleveland torso murder that took place where the body was found because investigators found large pools of blood that had seeped into the ground where the body was found. So then a little bit later, September 10th, another identified man uh, was found near East 37th Street waiting for an eastbound freight. Uh, there in an oily, coffee-colored stagnant pool, they found two halves of a human torso floating in the water. Hundreds of morbidly curious spectators crowded around to watch the cops drag the fucking pool for the victim's head. The head was never found. This is so fucked up. Can you imagine going to that? That's like 1930s entertainment. It's like, what are you guys doing later? I don't know, I'm going to watch them. Uh, they found some fucking dead they're body. They're going to find that head in the bottom of that pool. Do they're going to we'll fish it out. Look? I don't know, man. Um, the victim at the time was, you know, uh, a man between 25 and 30 years old, medium height, muscular build, traces of light brown hair. The hysteria, I mean, really ramps up from here as the papers finally coined the name of the killer, the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. So, I mean, it's going sensational. The police can't find any fucking leads. They're finding bodies every couple months now. Yeah. It's totally fucked up. Like... 
you know, they're just running wild. Year goes by. So we're in September. Winter goes by. So there's all this furor, and then it's a whole year. Yeah. Okay. 1937, February 23rd. Oh, not quite a year then. Not quite a year. An unidentified woman is found. The upper portion of, this is victim number seven, was found washed up on the beach at 156th Street. Um, So the first real victim, like the people they call, the person they call victim zero, we didn't talk about them yet. We will talk about them. They refer to that person as the lady of the lake. Some people think that because when they found victim seven was so similar to this victim zero, this lady of the lake, that that's what tied the lady of the lake in with this. But they didn't know at the time that they discovered the lady of the lake because they discovered the lady of the lake in 1934. This is 1937. So the lady of the lake is possibly just like a very early mad butcher slang. Very true. Yes. And so... Um, they, they find this victim seven in the exact same place where the lady of the lake was found. Mm, mm-hmm. So that's what tied it all together. The victim was headless. Her arms had been amputated and her torso was bisected. Um, the, vic- the, the, she'd only been dead for about, uh, two to four days and had been in the water, not more than three days. She was between 25 and 35 years old, weighed approximately 100 to 120 pounds, light complexion, medium brown hair. Um, she definitely lived in the city given the dirt in her lungs and moderate emphysema and she had been pregnant at least once. Kind of crazy all the shit they can find about you just based on your medical history, man. It's like, lived in the city. She had emphysema. Her lungs were fucked up. Like, you can tell that she wasn't breathing fresh air. Yeah. Jeez. Um, while her legs were removed with two clean sweeping strokes of a heavy knife, the arms were removed with the murderer's usual skill. The bisection of the torso showed multiple hesitation marks. Unlike most of the other victims, you know, it did not appear to be caused by decapitation. The blood clots in the heart indicated that decapitation was done post-mortem. The arms, legs, head, and clothing were never found, nor was her identity ever discovered. This makes me believe, I certainly fucking hope that I'm never an unidentified corpse because they will just fucking straight up list all these facts about you in the hopes of discovering your identity. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what's worse is being an unidentified corpse who then gets identified later. Cause it'd be like, we found this unidentified corpse. Clearly this guy was a sad fucking loser addicted to porn. His penis was chafed. It means he's masturbating three to six times a day. Uh, light complexion did not get a lot of sunlight. Um, brain was malformed, likely had a bad relationship with his father. You know, it's like, then later it comes out that it's you. It's like, oh, Jesus. Like, why are you going to say all that shit about me? What do you care? You're dead. I know, but it's just fucked up. <laughs> they find out all this shit about you. It's like the body was found, you know, very sad. Internet search history, not good. A lot of fucked up <laughs> stuff on Reddit. Wouldn't they know who you are then? Right, yeah, they They'll come out after they identify you. <laughs> last meal was clearly last meal. Very was, so disgusting. Was clearly forty chicken nuggets from McDonald's. <laughs> very sad. Did a McChugget McNugget power hour by himself. Very depressed. We can tell there were no other people involved. We can tell very sad. No other people involved. <laughs> Weak lungs. Didn't get out much. Kissless virgin. Limited evidence. That- 
limited limited evidence of any sexual intercourse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, had a podcast. Very sad individual. <laughs> June 6th, another unidentified woman was found. A teenager named Russell Lawyer, or Lar, was, uh, had been watching the Coast Guard boats on the, the Cuyahoga River. Oh, my God. Cuyahoga. Sorry. Jeez, Cuyahoga. 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 That's the river that caught on fire. Is it? Yeah. Well, it's, that's why it's fun to watch, I guess. Then, uh, as he's just watching the boats go by... Uh, lying in a rotting burlap sack along with a newspaper from June in the previous year was the partial skeleton of a woman that had been dead for approximately a year. Wow. Not more than five feet tall with small, delicate bones, even though her arms and legs were missing. There was a skull. Uh, extensive dental work was done on the skull. There was like pieces of decomposed flesh and a mass of black hair was found in the victim. The body was treated with quicklime, which eroded much of the flesh. Um, it was difficult to tell what the state of the corpse, but decapitation may or may not have been done and may or may not have been ca- the cause of death. This was the first and only black victim hmm. uh, killed by the Cleveland torso murderer. It was speculated that it may have been a local prostitute named Rose Wallace, who was missing at the time. But this was just speculation. I mean, it's, you know. They couldn't. They, just, it's they the didn't 1930s. have dental records and stuff. These are, these are vagrants. These are people, quote unquote, considered lower class. There's no fucking records. Mm-hmm. There's no fucking nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, people go missing. They go, who gives a fuck? So was the newspaper from June yes. of the year before? Was that a day that they ran a story about the mad butcher? I don't know. I don't know what was on the newspaper. Okay. I think the newspaper just helped identified about how long the how long the victim had been dead. But well, again, speculation could just been a newspaper. Yeah. Or at least how long the victim had been in the sack. Right. Um, July 6th of that year, another unidentified man was found. The upper portions of a man's torso plus his two thighs floated in the, what is it, Cuyahoga? Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga River. Just below Kingsbury Run for the next week, pieces of the victims floated downstream. (laughs) This is like... Wow. Yikes. This is fucked up. Um, um, Just about everything was retrieved except for the victim's head. He was approximately 5'8", 150 pounds, well-groomed fingernails. It was about four years. I just want to point out, great cuticles on the guy. Great cuticles. Completely dismembered. Penis cut off. Ray had a hair. I mean, this is a good looking corpse. You can tell this is not a manual laborer. <laughs> um, he'd been dead a couple of days when the first body parts were found. Decapitation was the cause of death. And the bore the signature of the mad butcher. But there was something new this time. Some of the surgery was very sloppy this time. And some was very skillful. For the first time, the killer had removed all the abdominal organs and the heart, none of which were ever found. So some sloppy work by the butcher, but then also he fucking expertly fucking dissected and took out all the body parts of the victim. And never, those organs were never found. Interesting. (laughs) It's fucked up. That's 1937. 1938 rolls around. April 8th. These are the last two official victims. An unidentified woman, a woman's leg was fished out of the Cuyahoga River, two burlap bags containing a woman's nude bisected torso, thighs, and a foot were hauled out of the Cuyahoga. Her head and arms were never found. Um, There's a different coroner now. His name is Gerber. No relation to the baby sauce. 
The baby sauce. The, the baby food? What is it? Life Curb insurance? baby sauce. <laughs> baby sauce. Give me my baby some sauce. Hey, honey, go 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 to the go to the grocery store, pick up my baby some sauce. Come down to Gerber's Barbecue, where we have several levels of heat for your barbecue. Get our baby sauce. <laughs> That's the mildest one for you fucking babies out there. Can't take a little heat. Um, coroner estimated she was between twenty five and thirty years old, approximately five foot three, hundred twenty pounds, light brown hair. Very little could be told except that she was flat chested, had once had a cesarean section birth. That sustained a bilateral laceration of the cervix from an additional birth or an abortion. Had her appendix removed. Um, autopsy showed no presence of hypnotic or narcotic drugs. And the cause of death was, prob- was probably decapitation. Boy, that woman, that victim had a lot of abdominal surgeries. Yep. Then August 16th, another unidentified. Oh, I'm sorry. I was wrong. There was three victims found in 1938. My, my mistake. These are the last two. August 16th, an unidentified woman was found. Again, 30 to 40 years old, five foot four, weighing 120, 125 pounds. Most of her viscera had decomposed. The skin of her back seemed well-preserved. She was dismembered by a large, sharp knife. Gerber guessed that she had died sometime between mid-Feb and mid-April, possibly before victim 10 in early April, the one I just described. Um, The remains had only been at the dump for a few weeks. The cause of death was undetermined. Uh, and it was obviously a homicide. <laughs> um, that wasn't a suicide? No. Yeah. Self-decapitation <laughs> and dismemberment. <Or> an accident. <laughs> yeah. Accidental death. Uh, another person playing in the fucking sawmill again. How many times? I don't know what we have to do to convince people to stop tripping over electrical cords. Police were initially excited when they were able to lift a fingerprint. Because, I mean, you got to think. It's been like fucking three years. They can't yeah. identify any of these people. Right. They lifted a fingerprint. They were unable to find a match in any of their files. Then an unidentified... What a shitty job that had to be. I know. You think about it now, computers do that, but can you imagine being the fingerprint matcher? I know. The person who just has to take a fingerprint and go into the hundreds, thousands of fingerprint files and look through each of them. Yeah. And try and find a match. They maybe they did have a match, and he just fucked up. You don't actually even know. Well, yeah, that's true. But you're Huge right. Margin for error on that. And it's like you know, you only have fingerprints. I think of people who, I don't know, had committed crimes before or yeah. other stuff. So it's yeah. like it's not like they could. It's not like they were sharing this. It's not right. like now where you could like scan the image of the fingerprint and right, or you had better DNA evidence at all. Yeah. So another unidentified man was also found at the same time um, to the victim above. Estimated time of death was seven to nine months earlier. The skull and bones found a couple hundred feet away from the woman's remains were a man, 30 to 40 years of age, uh, five foot six to five foot eight, weighed 130 to 150. His hair was long, coarse, and dark brown. He was dismembered with a long, sharp knife. Again, unidentified, you know, undetermined cause of death. What was considered a probable homicide? Yeah. (laughs) Seems likely. So those are the known victims, right? Yeah. These are the possible victims. There are several non-canonical victims. Um, We mentioned it up top. The Lady of the Lake was found near Euclid Beach on Lake Erie on September 5th, 1934, at virtually the same spot as victim seven, just as I described earlier. Um, may or may not have been victim number zero. Right? Okay. This very well could have been the person. 
So the headless body of an unidentified man was found in a boxcar in Newcastle, Pennsylvania on July 1st, 1936. Then three headless victims were found in boxcars. A lot of fucking boxcar killings. Again, yeah. they were killing, you know, hobos. Right. Who are famous for riding the trains. Right. Right. Near uh, McKee's Rocks in Pennsylvania on May 3rd, 1940. They all had similar injuries as the Cleveland Torso murder. Right. Right. Dismembered bodies were also found in the swamp near Newcastle. Um, and uh, between 1921 and 1934, and between 1939 and 1942, um, a new, Newcastle News refers to that killer as the murder swamp killer. Had very similar victims to the, the uh, Cleveland Torso murder. And... Um, you know, they were so close, in fact, that even one of the de- de- the detectives who we'll talk about in detail later, Cleveland detective Peter Marylou, um, said that the Newcastle murders were the work of the mad butcher of Kingsbury Run. Uh, because so of they, the railroads yeah. obviously run between Cleveland and Pennsylvania. Yeah. And th- there's there's an easy way where you can see that this Cleveland torso murderer was, you know, th- the, the lines ran, I think, all the way to Baltimore. So the... Uh... The rash of killings mm-hmm. led them to change the name of the swamp to the murder swamp. <laughs> no, I think. And then the the, the murder, murder swamp killer. Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't start calling the swamp the murder swamp. No. Okay. Just the killer. Got and it. then Peter Merrily was like, no, no, no. This is all the mad butcher. Yeah. But it's like, that's non-canonical, right? right. We don't know. We have no fucking clue. Yeah. Could have been. It makes sense. Yeah. Could hop on a train. Take the Ohio Railroad line all the way to Baltimore and just kill. Yeah. Kill hobos that you meet on the train. Yeah. So um, on July 22nd, 1950, the body of 41-year-old Robert Robertson. Come on. They weren't really trying with that one. Not a very clever name. His parents were not really trying. (laughs) Was found at 2138 Davenport Avenue in Cleveland. Um, He had been dead six to eight weeks and appeared to have been intentionally decapitated. Uh, he was estranged from his family. He had an arrest record, drinking problem, fringes of society, very similar to many of the deaths. Um, some people consider this an isolated crime, maybe a copycat crime. But again, it's non-canonical. We can't actually tell if it was connected to this, the suspects of the Mad Butcher. Why is it non-canonical? Well, we'll get into it when we talk okay. about the suspects because there's a very clear, there's one prime suspect. Got it. And that will be our verdicts, I think, is like determining who's the suspect. Who's the suspect. Because there's one prime one who never gets caught. Oh, boy. But then there's a couple of random ones who are also like, eh, it could be them too. Oh, boy. Bunk Funkers, let us hear it. How yeah. bad did we fuck the verdicts up? I know. Are we going to get into a JonBenet Ramsey situation? Yep. Elliot Ness, uh, let's talk about him by, for a little bit. So okay. by 1935, the city of Cleveland was uh, tired of the growing crime and political corruption. Cleveland was like really had turned into a haven for mobsters, bootleggers and criminals. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just going bad in Cleveland. And so they made Elliot Ness, who was kind of like this fucking boy scout, golden boy. Right. The mayor of Cleveland was like, you're the fucking safety director. So he basically is the head of both the p- police and fire departments. He's the public safety director. Okay. So he's a, he's a, he's a very uh he's high commissioner Gordon very figure commissioner Gordon figure to Cleveland's Gotham. Right. 
So Ness got to work right away uh, and he started dominating the newspaper headlines. He starts fucking arresting people. He's cracking down on crime. But he had his hands full with this Cleveland torso murder. He did make headway into the case uh, despite the lack of knowledge about criminal profiling at the time. He did kind of work with his team of investigators to develop a profile of the killer. You know, do they match up to today's standards? I don't know. I'd probably say no. Yeah. But, you know, it's he's trying for 1930s. Right. Bunkfunkers, you have to remember, the FBI was, like, just becoming an organization at the time. Um, the FBI in America, which typically gets involved with serial killers, right? So if mm-hmm. you have a serial killer in a town, your local FBI branch is going to get involved. Um, FBI gets involved with these kind of higher-level crimes, federal crime, cults, um, you know, things things of that nature, high-level... A lot of a lot of forensic like accounting forensic accountants are like a huge part of the FBI nowadays because there's so much white collar crime. Yeah. Which is a big thing that the FBI investigates. Yeah, we talked about this in one of our episodes, maybe uh COINTELPRO. No, I think it was the uh one of the Patreon episodes. Oh, oh the spy guy, right? Or no, I don't know. But the origin of the FBI Mm -hmm. was because the The Bureau of Investigation. the The Bureau didn't have interstate powers. Right. At the time. And so there was law enforcement was really relying on local jurisdictional right. power to enforce the laws. And so Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover, Hoover, Hoover J. Edgar Hoover, he um, when he became director of the FBI, that was like the, the big yeah. problem crime wise right. in the country was bank robberies. Right. And so bank robbers could, you know, they had. They, they had, flee interstate lines and then they, they were, then you were fucked. They yeah, because they and they had like really they had these super fast cars. They had really high powered weapons. Yeah, they were better outfitted than local police. Right, and so that was Hoover's big push: is like make bank robbery a federal crime. Right, and that's how the FBI starts sticking its foot into everything. Is right. because now this is a federal crime. FBI can like get involved in it. Then they'll cross state lines. Right. They can do whatever. They can coordinate, and then they you know got a huge budget to right. But, but but when you come specifically with these serial killers, yeah. um, you know, these are typically it's because, you know, right. Like you said, there might be interstate deaths. It's it's such a high body count and it's so serious a matter that the FBI gets involved. But, you know, the FBI previously was the Bureau of Investigation mm-hmm. and they were even at this time and before they were primarily concerned, like you said, with bank robbery and bootlegging. Yeah. And, and like things like that. They were not. It's not like today. They were not involved with serial killers. Right. Right. And cults because that wasn't even a concept. Yeah. So, um, and prohibition, you know, was, you know, that was still enforcing prohibition. That was like their goal. Yeah. And they, and they really didn't even have a, it wasn't like a huge thing. They didn't have a ton of officers. The Bureau of Investigation was completely inept, which was why prohibition is actually a very fascinating era of American history because it's such a weird fucking time. It's insane to think that this country outlawed drinking for like a decade yeah. and it was so horribly mismanaged. It's a very interesting uh, time in history, Bunk Bunkers, if you're interested in American history. But here's the profile that um, they started to piece together. Now, again, Bunk Bunkers, some very archaic thought here, but we'll go through it. One, they said it had to be one man working alone that murdered all the victims. The Lady of the Lake, who was most likely an earlier victim of the same serial killer, was not included in the official count because that murder happened in 1934, 
one full year before the death of Andrassi. So they kind of, they make a hard stop. I don't know why. They say 1935 and onward. I don't know. The killer was clearly psychopathic, but was probably not obviously insane. The castration of some of the victims did lead to disagreement amongst Ness and the team as to whether the killer was uh, homosexual. Right. So they get really involved with that. They they figure it likely, you know, they're like, well, was it a homosexual man? Because, you know, homosexuality at the time was illegal in Cleveland. Did they, um, what was the... So they get fixated on that. What was the suspicion here that... He was keeping the penises as trophies or yeah, something? Yeah, keeping the penises as trophies. Oh, yeah, because that's just what... Struggling with his own homosexuality, right. so he's cutting penises off. Okay. You know, any kind of archaic thought you can think of is probably what yeah. they were thinking. Yeah, that's, it's what every gay man wants is, <laughs> is a sh- d- dismembered penis. <laughs> that's right. You go on Grinder and they're just like, give me your penis. Yeah, just cut, can, I, can I come by and cut off your penis? Well, there was some, and there was some internal disagreement amongst the team. And we'll actually, I'll, I'll get into it because there's some people who took the homosexual angle like well, way too, too far. far, way too yeah. far. Um, now, now some thought the genital mutilation might have been, and and the non-genital mutilation was to thwart identification, and make it easier to transport the bodies. But other mutilations, they were like, we have no idea why this fucker was doing this. They all agreed the killer had some knowledge of anatomy. Um, you know, the medical experts felt there was no evidence to establish that the murderer was necessarily a physician, could have been a butcher, or could have been a well-known hunter who could recognize anatomical landmarks as well as a surgeon. So, you know, it's, you know, the killer was likely a resident of Kingsbury Run. Um, considering- Oh, wow. <laughs> they think so? <laughs> I mean, that is a serious... They think that he was, think? he was a Kingsbury Run resident. Well, he keeps dragging all the bodies there. Yeah. He's killing some of them off-site, some of them on-site. I mean, not to not to jump too far ahead, not to get into, like, discussion right. territory here, right. but I almost feel the opposite way. Like, this is probably a person, because where's the, where's the shanty where they're draining the victims of blood and right. storing bodies in lie? Well. You know, to me, I'm like, this is somebody who's coming in here from outside. Right. Knows they can Abducting hide bodies people, here. murdering them, yeah. and then bring the bodies back. Okay. It's a fair assessment. Let's see if you can keep that by the end of the, okay. the episode. <laughs> um, Considering how untidy it was to decapitate a living person with a jugular vein spurting fucking blood all in directions, yeah. the experts agree the killer had some of a private place, some kind of private place, like mm-hmm. you're saying, where the victims were dispatched and later cleaned up. Theories ranged from a butcher shop, a doctor's office, even a home where the unsuspecting victims were lured by the promise of food or shelter mm-hmm. then killed. Mm-hmm. So that's playing into what you're mm-hmm. thinking. The killer selected victims from the lower rungs of society to mm-hmm. either help avoid detection or for some sick, you know, psychosomatic desire to rid society of them. This was kind of undetermined, you know? Yeah. This is where you see them being like, what's well, a psychological profile? It's like, he's just... He's just trying to avoid detection. That's his motive. It's like right. he doesn't have some sick fascination with society or, you know, some sociological reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this is like, you know, modern serial killers. So many of them fixate on female sex workers. Right. And it's, you know, society in general values right. female sex workers very little. And so that's what they always say, like about serial killers. Like, right? They're not trying to avoid detection. In fact, it's quite the opposite. They're trying to 
bring attention to what they're doing right. because they're trying to make a statement. And then, but because the victims that they choose are so undervalued by right. society that police just don't even, can't even be bothered to like link to very similar killings together. So they go undetected for a long time. Right. Or you have very targeted, like, you know, uh, um, Ed Kemper. Yeah. Targeting co-eds and mm -hmm. like, you know, women because he had this, a lot Psycho of aggression against Yeah, like, like he had a fucking very traumatic relationship with his own mother. Yeah. Cut off his own fucking mom's head. Right. Killed his grandparents. Like, you know, that kind of shit. Like, yeah. it's like very directly tied to his feelings on women from his upbringing, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, um, yeah. So uh, this point I think is actually pretty interesting too, is that the, they believe the killer got smarter over time. Heads and hands started to be chopped off or decomposed before dumping the bodies mm -hmm. to again avoid detection and victim identification, which is a really, I think, actually kind of astute point to make. They um, identified two early victims and then none after right, that. None after that because the killer starts going, Oh, they're getting on to me. Let me. They stop finding heads, they stop finding hands. You're just finding bodies. There's nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting too because the initial find, yeah, and I'm talking. After the Lady of the Lake, the first right, two victims. Right, right. They identified the, the burned guy and, and right. Drassi. Is like, okay, well, he had two victims side by side. Right. One that had been decomposed for much longer and then one that was relatively fresh. And only one that was fresh could they identify. So, yeah. so this is a footnote in the case, but I do think it's worth noting because it's kind of fucked up. Like we said, very archaic thoughts on homosexuality, which was also illegal in the time of the case. So... Mm -hmm. Elliot Ness brings in this well-regarded detective who I mentioned earlier named Peter Mary Lou to help catch the killer. Mary Lou was fucking fixated and convinced the killer was homosexual. So he started to raid and arrest tons of suspected gay men. Wow. Wow. Who, I mean, who, who could have seen that coming? Jeez, imagine. Wow. Wow. Worse. Imagine that law enforcement could have suspected. It gets more fucked up. Oh, well, I'm sure it does. Mary Lou was known to take this too far, like even too far for the time. He would wait inside known gay bars and hangouts and watch two men leave together, follow them back to their meetup place, wait for them to be, quote, in incompromising situations, end quote, and then jump in to make the arrest. He would also parade up and down the streets of Kingsbury Run in underwear, hoping to attract gay men to arrest and interrogate them about the murders. Oh, my God. He's like to have one fucking cop from, from South, South Park. Park. <laughs> South Park did it. Thinking. Yeah. This he's, is Peter Mary Lou. Yeah, he's literally doing the same fucking thing as that episode where, where Butters becomes a Come pimp. on, I can fit more of you. Come on. <laughs> Freeze, scumbag. Right, he follows these two men home. They're all having sex. Yeah. He's like, Taking pictures yeah. and yeah, you like that. <laughs> getting involved, getting he like asked to come in and join them as a third, and they're like, sure. And then after everybody's finished, freeze! I'm a cat. <laughs> yeah, getcha. Now, needless to say, Mary Lou was quickly the source of ridicule, and many judges in Cleveland refused to hear his arrest cases because yeah. they're like, dude, you are a, you are just such a fucking like piece of you're fucking making this hard, dude. So he like ruined his reputation working yes. on this case. Yes. He was put, uh, so they take him off that and they just, they start throwing him at like the weirder suspects, like the total bullshit, bullshit ones to keep him like away from the case. Right. Because he's involved with the case, but then Ness is like, I can't have this fucking guy running around parading in his fucking underwear. Here, you go talk to, like, 
Because, you know, they're bringing in suspects. They're getting, you know, when you get a high profile case like this, you get people right again being like, it's me. I'm the killer. And it's like, there's absolutely no basis. Right, right. So um, one of the people they bring him in was called the Chicken Freak, who hired the Naked Lover. The Chicken Freak. But this was the inspiration for the chicken lover. I don't know who the chicken lover is. South Park. Who's the The chicken mobile driver? The which one? The bookmobile driver that liked to fuck chickens. I don't remember that one. A very old episode. Yeah. Early seasons. Anyway. He hired uh, naked prostitutes to behead chickens while he masturbated. So Mary Lou had to go in and be like, fucking like investigate that guy. They would put him on people like that who were like, boy, there's a weird fucking kink. Yeah, that's a good kink. Never heard of that one before. There was one called the Voodoo Doctor. There was <laughs> uh, with nice. a quote unquote death ray. Another chicken beheading situation. I don't, know what, I don't know what Voodoo Doctor did. They had a death ray. There was the crazed giant who roamed Kingsbury Run with a large butcher knife. They just had to kind of throw him on all the weird shit to keep him away. Yeah. Um, the press had a lot of fun mocking the police's efforts and Mary Lou would play off his investigations as if it was the entire team's point of view. So he like totally was that guy on the case where it's like, he's like, yep, everybody agrees with what I'm doing. And then Ness and him are like, can you fucking shut the fuck up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, Mr. Reporter. Elliot Ness fully supports me getting into my underwear and walking around Kingsbury Run. (laughs) Trying to entrap gay men. 100%. We're all convinced. The whole team's behind me. And then Elliot's like, I've been given a wide berth here to brutally arrest and abuse every gay person I see. (laughs) So footnote, but you could see where like this whole thing, I mean, at the time they're just, they're just not equipped to like throwing darts. They're throwing darts, but here's the aftermath, right? Yeah. So I described those two victims that were found in tandem on August 18th, 1938. At that time, it was basically at the client. It was like either it is time to fucking put this to rest or we're all fucked. Right. So this is pretty fucked up, but Ness led a huge midnight raid on the city's shanty towns. Him and his men stormed the hobo jungles, chasing down, capturing the, the, the terrified vagrants. They were taken into police stations, fingerprinted and then sent off to workhouses while the police combed the rubble for any signs of the mad butcher. And then finally, they just torched all the shanties so they couldn't go back to their hovels. It's so fucked up. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) But ever since it started being suggested by investigators that the killer might have been a doctor, given the precise and surgical, that led to like nothing. They just raided the shanty villages and fucking burned them all down. Yeah. Yeah. This was just a, just a, um, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, it was just an aggressive thing to it do. It was just a last it. ditch fucking last ditch aggressive effort where they're just yeah. like, fuck it. We're going to comb the whole area. Yeah. So. Right. We well, said it's that really a lot, a lot of good support for my hypothesis, though, huh? It is. Um, it might have been a doctor, right? Somebody mm-hmm. said that when they were profiling them. Mm-hmm. So the police interrogated and questioned all the area's physicians, medical students, uh, nurses, with, and special consideration was given to anybody who had, you know, a suspicious past or had known problems with booze or drugs. Mm-hmm. And it led them to one, Dr. Frank E. Sweeney. Now, Dr. Francis Edward Sweeney was born in 1894 to an impoverished Irish family, lived on the east side of Cleveland at the edge of Kingsbury Run. 
Mm. His father was badly injured in an accident and his mother died of a stroke when he was only nine years old, leaving him and his several siblings to live in a frugal and meager existence in Kingsbury Run. Despite their poverty, Frank was determined to make a success of himself. He was highly intelligent and had a strong work ethic. He held down full-time jobs while putting himself through undergraduate work, pharmacy school, and medical school. His classmates at med school elected him class vice president, and his professors recommended him without reservation at the time. He was a star. He was also a veteran of World War I and was part of a medical unit that conducted amputations in the field. Oh! He graduated from medical school in St. Louis in 1928 and became a surgical resident at St. Alexis Hospital in the Kingsbury Run area. Sweeney's expertise as a surgical resident allowed him to become a protege of the highly respected teaching physician, Dr. Carl Heyman. Sweeney seemed to have a very promising career ahead of him. He had a beautiful wife. <laughs> they describe her, and one of the things is he had a beautiful Slavic wife. <laughs> Just like, not necessary. <laughs> She's beautiful, beautiful Eastern European woman. Hey, it's Cleveland, baby. It's Cleveland, baby. She was beautiful. And they had two young sons. Everything was looking up for this guy. It was looking sweet for Sweeney. Yeah. It's looking sweet for Sweeney. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, the long years of hard work, the war, the hardship he faced in his youth, probably the horrible shit he saw growing up in Kingsbury Run. I mean, he had a hard youth. Frank became a raging alcoholic and started to develop psychosis. Mm. He was admitted to the city hospital for alcoholism. The treatment was unsuccessful. The drinking worsened and worsened. His marriage and career began to disintegrate. Uh, he was violent, abusive at home. And the hospital he worked at severed its relationship with him. Eventually, his beautiful wife uh, filed for divorce in 1936, seeking custody of the children. And they had a restraining order from him visiting, interfering, or molesting her. According to his wife, Dr. Sweeney had begun to drink continuously two years after their marriage in July of 1927 and remained in a state of habitual drunkenness until their separation, September of 1934. I think you can see where this is going. Yeah. Investigators at the time saw it too. Frank's climax of deterioration lined up exactly with the first victim, the prequel victim, the Lady of the Lake. Yeah. Sweeney became the biggest and most likely suspect in the Cleveland Torso Murders. Oh my God, what happened next? You're fucking chomping at the bit. Oh bits. my God. I'm I'm like wriggling with anticipation What a here. fucking suspect. Yeah, this is a great suspect. Who could fit the profile better than Dr. Frankie Sweeney? I gotta know what happened. Now, there are some key factors played into making him such a compelling suspect. He was born, raised, and spent most of his life in Kingsbury Run. He knew the area well. He knew everything about it. He knew all the spots. He was a large man. He was big. He was tall. He was strong. Oh, oh he was. Yes. And he could definitely carry these victims' bodies to the dumping areas. I mean, you don't think about that. He's carrying 150-pound victims to the areas and dumping them. It's a lot of weight to carry. Yeah. He was a well-trained surgeon, and he would know how to hack and dice his victims up. Okay, again, here we go. This might be Peter Marylou coming in. He was suspected to be bisexual at the time. Okay. Some fucked up, I mean, you know, and uh, investigators were like, hey, that's why he's killing both men and women. Very archaic ideas. 
Um, from before serial killers were understood, they thought, you know, the killer had to be some sort of sick pervert or sexual deviant. We only kill the ones we want to fuck. Right. <laughs> right. Not that he's dealing with psychosomatic issues involving the trauma of war, his right. upbringing, his alcoholism, his raging psychosis. Had to have been him struggling with homosexuality. Yeah. Jeez, Peter Mary Lou, have you ever considered that a person who grew up in extreme poverty, which shaped his entire adult life, and then his whole life collapsed in front of him? Right. Maybe that in a bitter state, he would then start to attribute the impoverished people as being the problem with society and would strike out against them? It's just the easiest for him to kill, right? Yeah. But you're sitting here, you're chomping at the bit. I'm chomping at the bit. Why can't they get this guy? This Did guy's he perfect. die from something else? looking like sweeney's the guy yeah he seems like what was wrong with him as a suspect well in 1937 sweeney was abandoned as a suspect in part because he f was frequently out of town at a veterans hospital in sandusky ohio oh america's roller coast when the fresh when a fresh victim's body was discovered he was out of town when when one of the one of the victims in 1937 was found also that seems to make him more suspicious. Also, Sweeney was the cousin of Congressman Martin L. Sweeney, a very colorful and controversial political powerhouse of the local Democratic Party, who, when the head of the police were considering Sweeney as a suspect in the case, used the police's investigation as political leverage and advantage to attack the Republican mayor, of Cleveland in the press and also as a means of strong arming the police away from pursuing Sweeney any further. Wow. So there's all this whole political thing. Wow. Sweeney was just this fucking loud mouth. He was only a cousin. Yeah. But he was like, ah, oh, I can use this to my advantage. Yeah. Damn. Wow. So let's talk a little bit though about pursuing um, Sweeney some more. There's this thing called the Sandusky Breakthrough. In mid-March of 1938, in Sandusky, a couple hours' drive west of Cleveland, a dog found a severed leg of a man. Fucking dog. Like, look at that dog. He found a bone. What is that? <laughs> oh, way, my God, it's a human leg. The way you delivered that, a dog. <laughs> a dirty dog. A dog gave testimony to police. <laughs> dog was on the witness stand. That, that he saw. Can you, what, and, and is it true? Is it true, Fido? What condition did you find the victim in? Rough. <laughs> and you found the victim next to what? Bark. You saw blood splattered on a tree. Is that correct? Where was the blood splattered? <laughs> Bark. <laughs> so stupid. So a dog finds a fucking guy's leg in Sandusky. Yeah. Lieutenant David Cowles of the Cleveland Police Department, who was part of the investigation, who was part of Ness's team, he went personally to Sandusky to see if there was any connection between this leg and the Mad Butcher. Now, Were they at this point operating on the potential suspicion that this was another Sweeney victim in yes. Sandusky? Okay. Yes. Sweeney was always the top victim, but it's like, I, I'm kind of go like, you have to imagine it's playing out over time. Right. Right. So they're like suspecting Sweeney probably in 36, 37. Congressman cousins getting involved, putting the fucking kibosh on it. They're like, well, what the fuck? What are we supposed to do? We can't get Sweeney. He's our guy. We keep finding victims. Now we're in mid-March of 38. It's at the climax. You know, they're doing the hobo shanty raid. Mm -hmm. Nobody can find anything because they're like, we got to go after Sweeney, but they can't. So this is mid-March mid of 38. Cowles goes up there. They get word of a, of a severed leg. They're thinking, all right, 
Let's fucking see if it's Sweeney. Now, Cowles was, was brilliant for the time. He was a self-educated forensic expert. And he remembered that a year prior, a surgeon was considered a prime suspect and that Sweeney had been dropped, right? They dropped Sweeney as a suspect because he had been away where? In Sandusky, Ohio. He remembered that when the victim was found in Cleveland. So uh, Cowles goes and visited the Sandusky Soldiers and Sailors home, which is like a a veteran's affair. Like what it would be today would be a VA hospital. Yeah, VA hospital. Or VA home. And he starts talking to people there. What Cowles found was that Sweeney, while Sweeney had checked himself into the home for the treatment of his alcoholism, he wasn't held there against his will. In fact, Cowles found Sweeney wasn't really watched at all. And security was non-existent for the patients. Also, at various times, particularly on holidays and weekends, well, the hospital was crowded with visitors. Ambulatory patients like Dr. Sweeney, they could fucking come and go as they please. He's not... Oh, I see. So they dropped him because they thought that he was being he was, held. He was held there. Not the case. That's oh. what he finds because he goes up there and he investigates it. Oh. Um, it was not unusual for an individual suffering from alcoholism to succumb to the needs of alcohol, right? Get his hands on some liquor, disappear for a day or two on a binge, and then come back. Mm-hmm. The staff's like, listen, that's just what they do. Look. We know we're trying to treat your addiction, but look, everybody's going to get some of this stuff, and then they're going to go on a bender. You could come back. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Step in and stop them? What is this supposed to be? I, I look, I can't be everywhere all at once. <laughs> such, but a good, such a good rehab. Concluded, hell, guys, it's possible for Sweeney to leave the Veterans Hospital, travel by car or train into Cleveland, commit a murder, return to the hospital without his short absence being noticed. Yeah. That's very plausible. Yeah. He, he's known for disappearing. People think, oh, he's just on an alcohol binge. No. Going to Cleveland, committing a murder, coming back. So the homeless, Maybe he had a little, did a little drinking. Maybe he did a little drinking. Okay. <laughs> very well, actually, yes, he was constantly drunk. He was a functioning alcoholic. <laughs> right. Now, this sailor's home was connected and shared some grounds with the Ohio Penitentiary Honor Farm, where Cowles melt, uh, met a convict there named Alex Archaki. A-R-C-H-A-K-I. I don't know what is that. Is that Greek? Archachki. Yeah, I don't know. Archachki? I probably would have said Archaki. Archaki. He was a convicted Archaki. burglar. Serving his time there. You know, he's yeah. serving his time. Archaki. Burglar? He was a burglar. Archaki was very familiar with Dr. Sweeney and even kept Sweeney supplied with liquor in exchange for prescriptions that Sweeney wrote for barbiturates and other drugs. Oh, baby. So... You might be thinking, what the fuck? Although Sweeney wasn't a practicing surgeon, he could still prescribe medicine from a pharmacy. It was the 1930s. They didn't take his pad away. No. So until he runs out on pad. Right. Like pages on his little prescription prescription. pads. Yeah. Archaki was convinced he's talking to cows. He's like, fuck yeah, he's the mad butcher. Wow. 100% that dude's the mad butcher. Archaki had first met Sweeney a couple of years earlier at a bar in downtown Cleveland. Archaki was alone. And he was approached by Sweeney, who described himself as a well, who he described as a well-dressed, good-looking extrovert. Sweeney starts buying Archaki drinks, asking him a lot of personal questions. Where did Archaki come from? Did he have any family in the city? Was he married? How thick is your neck? (laughs) 
<laughs> Can I get your neck measurements? Are you known for having a lot of blood? I mean, what's going on? <laughs> Do you smoke weed? Do you like pornographic magazines? Did you once accidentally, you know, trick people into thinking you're a doctor? Would you uh, would you say that your penis is really well connected <laughs> to your body or that it would be removed easily? <laughs> or Chucky was like, what? These are some fucking weird questions. Stop <laughs> talking to me. Later on in retrospect, Archaki's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. This guy was considering me as a victim. Yeah. I mean, after all, you know, it seemed a deliberate act on the part of the Mad Butcher to make sure that most of his later victims were unidentified, probably men and women from out of town with no close friends or family in the area. So Cows is like, holy fuck, what a breakthrough. He keeps, he keeps probing, he keeps probing Archaki with more questions. And Archaki eventually told him that he noticed that Sweeney's unexplained absences from the hospital coincided with the estimated times of death for several victims. Archaki was positive. Mm-hmm. Whenever Sweeney was missing for a day, a fresh body in Cleveland would turn up shortly after his return to the hospital in Sandusky. Mm-hmm. In late March, shortly after Cal's visit to the hospital, the police in Sandusky determined that the severed leg found by the dog by that dog who found that dead body's leg. Why does history not remember the name of the dog? This was, was a result, good dog. Now, it was the result of a legitimate surgery and not of the work of the mad butcher. Well, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Which legi- I don't get. I don't get it legitimate? all. Legitimate? I don't think so. I don't know about that. I'm, I'm questioning that immediately. Well, listen. What are we supposed to do with this leg? Well, we had, to, we had to amputate your leg. So the only thing we could do is throw it into Lake Erie. <laughs> I guess that's why the lake was so shitty for so long. Yeah. Yeah, well, just you got human remains, throw them in the lake. Nevertheless, it was a fucking silver lining because Cowles yeah. was energized by the trip. They had to get Sweeney. Yeah. They had to. This was a huge breakthrough. Yeah. Let's talk about this. This is the interrogation of Sweeney. Okay. So, right after, you know, this 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 obviously happened in mid-March 1938. You know, they, they knew it was the guy. Right after the discovery of the three bodies in 1937, the city was in an uproar. The pressure on Elliot Ness to resolve the murders was so intense that he and his crew held a secret interrogation of Dr. Sweeney. This was before all of Cowell's stuff. Um, so I might have I might have actually been misspoken when I said they had to get Sweeney now, but it was like, it just energized them. You know, they had been going after him for a while. The interrogation was held in a suite at the Cleveland Hotel at Public Square. Ness kept Sweeney locked in a luxury suite for three days straight just to sober him up. Yeah. He was that drunk. So they just kept him in there. Sweeney was described as amused and confident. Now, the interrogation was conducted by Elliot Ness, Dr. Royal Grossman, the court psychiatrist, Lieutenant David Cowles, Dr. Leonard Keeler, who was one of the inventors of the polygraph, who had come with his equipment from Chicago at Ness's request. Wow. So, shout out Chicago. The secrecy was critical, obviously, because of uh, his cousin, Congressman Martin L. Sweeney, who couldn't be tipped off. Uh, and he had to treat him very carefully because at any moment, Dr. Sweeney could just call up the congressman and the interrogation would end. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday morning, August 23rd, uh, Dr. Francis Sweeney was dressed in a freshly pressed suit and tie, compliments of the hotel cleaning service. Ooh. He introduces himself cordially to the serious looking men who had come to interrogate him. Excuse me. While Keeler excused himself to the second bedroom to set up the polygraph equipment, <clears throat> 
Ness, Grossman, and Cowles sat with Dr. Sweeney in the parlor. For the next two hours, Crowles, Cowles and Grossman did, did most of the questioning, and Ness just listened. Sweeney, Sweeney was fucking playing with them. He was toying with them. He was cracking jokes, <clears throat> answering questions vaguely. He wasn't taking it serious at all. Obviously, we look at this in retrospect and we go, holy fuck, this guy's a serial killer. Yeah, for sure. He's a classic Ted Bundy. He's a classic Manson. He's a classic. Yeah. That um, one guy who I can't remember who was also like, yeah, that he was guy really into like wearing women's shoes and he would toy with the detectives. Forget his name. Yeah, he was, in, he was in Portland. You know, Ness could see this was going nowhere and he went into bedroom to check on Keeler Keeler was ready, so they escorted him to the bedroom. They fitted him on the polygraph machine, and he started um, administering it. They asked him a list of questions. Um, you know, they were they began kind of innocuously. You know, they begin: Is your name Dr. Francis Edward Sweeney? Was were you born in Ohio? Did you have two sons named Francis and James? Blah 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 blah. Getting a baseline for the machine. The questions became quickly more specific. Had he ever met Edward Andrassy? Did he kill Edward Andrassy? Did he ever meet Florence Palillo? Did he kill Florence Palillo? Um, and Ness closely, watched closely as the polygraph recorded its response in Sweeney's denials. When he was finished, Dr. Keeler thanked Sweeney and asked him to stay where he was for a few minutes. Keeler and Ness left the room, closing the door behind them, and went into the parlor where Grossman and Cowles were waiting. Then Keeler said confidently, Looks like he's your guy. He had failed the tests. Wow. Ness agreed. What do you think? He asked Grossman. I believe we have a classic psychopath here. Now, Grossman is the, is the psychologist. The psychologist, yeah. With a likelihood of some schizophrenia. His father, his father spent the last three years of his life locked up, a violent schizoid personality aggravated by chronic alcoholism. Now, Ness had difficulty, you know, reconciling this because it's like, this guy is highly intelligent. He's very smooth talking. And again, they don't understand serial killers. So they're like, I don't get it. The guy seems like a normal dude. A guy I'd want to have a beer with. Yeah. They don't piece it together. Hey, uh, uh, who? A crazy person is supposed to be a weirdo, whack job who's going around flinging their poopy everywhere. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't, it's well, me, Elliot Ness. Uh, you know, people, people who have mentally disturbed our. Uh, I mean, you know, Andy, you got to cut them a little slack. They didn't understand the psychology of the time. I know. I know it's fun, but it's, they just didn't get it. They didn't yeah. understand how somebody who could be so normal could then also be this psychopathic killer. They did. They thought that he should be like a Looney Tune. Yeah. You know, um, you know, Ness was confused. It seemed incredible to me that someone with his brains and education could be the monster we're looking for. So Ness is like, let me go in and talk to him for a half hour or so. And then we'll retest him later. Uh, Ness goes into the bedroom, closes the door. He's alone with the doctor. Well, Sweeney asked, are you satisfied now? A huge grin spread across his face. He stood up and looked out the window. Yes, Ness said thoughtfully. I think you're the killer. Sitting on the bed, Ness became even more aware of the man's fucking size. He was fucking huge. Mm -hmm. His bulk covered most of the window. You know, he whirls around at Ness and sneered. You think? He starts advancing towards Ness who started to prepare himself for an attack. Sweeney leans down, puts his face a few inches from Ness, and says, then prove it. Some of this is coming from later biographies, but it's an interesting story. Yeah. 
shaken. Ness gets up from the door and opens the door and he goes, Cowles, Grossman, no one answers. Sweeney smiles and goes, looks like they all went to lunch. He's literally alone with this fucking, this, what we can all understand by today's method is a serial murderer. It's a fucking psychopath. Yeah. Ness quickly went to the phone, tracked down his colleagues in a local coffee shop and suggested that they fucking get back to the suite immediately for backup. Why would you leave me? That's hilarious. Years later, Ness would confess to his wife that never in all of his dangerous careers with the untouchables, dealing with mobsters, Al Capone, he had never felt as threatened as he did when he was alone with Dr. Sweeney. That was the scariest encounter of his life. That afternoon, they administered Sweeney several more times to the polygraph. Each time, the same fucking result. He fails. The men were left with the conclusion that Sweeney was indeed the killer, but only they only had circumstantial evidence, right? They didn't have anything that could pin the guy. Yeah, yeah. you've got the polygraph test, but people don't really know what that is. Yeah, Sweeney's totally right. They can't prove it. They can't prove it. You still couldn't even use a polygraph as right. definitive proof. Right. Ness was certain that he could never get a conviction with what they had on Sweeney, especially with his fucking high-profile cousin. Yeah. They would always have to, you know, they would always basically have to have the doctor followed constantly, but the physician had already shown he could evade surveillance. So now you're probably sitting here asking, Bugfuckers, well, what happens next? Well, what happens next is shrouded in mystery. Because the only thing that's very clear is that Dr. Sweeney did admit himself to that, to that veterans hospital two days after the investigation. From August 25th, 1938, until his death, Dr. Sweeney's death in 1965, Sweeney went from one hospital to another, state hospitals, mental hospitals, veterans hospitals, in various parts of the country. He was not a prisoner. He could leave these hospitals voluntarily. However, at least in the Sandusky Hospital, there was a note attached to his records insisting that if, that if he were to ever leave the hospital, that he was to immediately, they were immediately to notify the police in Sandusky and Cleveland. In October, October of 1955, Dr. Sweeney was committed to the Dayton Veterans Hospital for the remaining decades of his life. But still, he was free to wander around the neighborhood, writing prescriptions for himself and his friends until the hospital campaign with a local pharmacist to cut off his drug supply. He was writing fucking prescriptions until 1955. For 30 more years? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What is unknown mm-hmm. is why Dr. Sweeney had admitted himself to the hospital and why he voluntarily stayed institutionalized for most of the rest of his life. Did Congressman Martin L. Sweeney get involved and work out some kind of deal with Ness? Did Sweeney's sisters urge him to get help and spare him and, 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 and them of all the humiliation of the eventual arrest and trial? Did Sweeney feel that the police were too close and put an end to his killing spree? Or was this man, who Elliot Ness firmly believed to be the mad butcher, really an innocent nut who got his kicks from playing with the police? Years later, as his alcohol worsened, I mean, he fucking is deteriorating rapidly over time. He's a raging alcoholic. His sense of humor became more bizarre. Um, One of his family members speculated that he hid his natural melancholy with his humor. When he was at the Veterans Hospital in Dayton, he spent a series of strange and incomprehensible jeering. He sent jeering postcards to Elliot Ness throughout his life. He would just keep mocking Elliot Ness while he was in these hospitals. But he sent them to Elliot Ness directly. To Elliot Ness directly. Okay. Despite these bizarre phone postcards, his siblings never believed that Frank, that Frank Sweeney was capable of violence. They saw him as a tragic figure 
who had everything within his grasp and then lost it all, a brilliant man destroyed by alcoholism and his own demons. The killings officially stopped in 1938. The last victim, the so-called Victim 10, that was killed in April of 1938, even though uh, remains of so-called Victims 11 and 12 were found in mid-August of that year. So, that's Dr. Frankie Sweeney. He's a very high-profile subject. Um, you know, obviously, he gets sent away to the Sandusky Hospital. Later, they're still finding victims and bodies, and they're thinking like, okay, well, maybe it's not him. But then Cowles goes to Sandusky and goes, no, he could leave and come back at any time. Mm-hmm. It's probably him. So, but the killings do stop in 1938, officially. We don't know about those boxcar killings and all the other stuff. That's Frankie Sweeney. So let's talk about a few of the other suspects real quick before we we wrap it up here, bunk bunkers. Um, one of the other major su- suspects was uh, was on August twenty fourth, nineteen thirty nine. Cleveland resident Frank Dolezal, who was fifty two, was arrested on the as a suspect in Fran- Florence Palillo's murder. Uh, a few months after Dr. Sweeney had himself admitted to the Sandusky Hospital, O'Donnell, Sheriff O'Donnell, hired a private detective, Pat Lyons, to investigate the Kingsbury Run murders. After many months, they focused on Frank Dolezal. Supposedly, Lyons found this guy in a tavern that had been frequently, frequented by Andrassi and Palillo. And Dolezal was another patron of this saloon. Um, they searched Dolezal's room which he had previously rented. They found stains on the floor. They found a knife. Um, Lyons had his chemist brother analyze the stains and the results were that they were human blood. Um, then fucking uh, Peter Marylou gets wind of this. Oh boy. And, oh, fuck. <laughs> and he starts uh, investigating Dolezal himself. Um, oh boy. We know what that means. Well, basically Marylou had investigated and rejected Dolezal already. Oh. And so then O'Donnell was like, no, 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 maybe we should keep looking into him. Um, O'Donnell wanted to move fast before like Mary Lou could get reinvolved. So like before Mary Lou could get wind. He's like, they- I gotta, I gotta decide if this is real or not before Mary Lou. Yeah, gets exactly. Here. Exactly. So they went in and they arrested him quickly. <laughs> in 1939, after a rough night in jail, uh, where Dolezal, confessed uh-huh. to the murder yep um of Flo Palillo you know they likely beat a confession out of him right because they had a reputation of being cruel um they took the confession Dolezal claimed that he and Flo had a fight um that they she went at him with a butcher knife to defend himself he hit her she fell against a bathtub assuming she was dead he cut her up carried her to the alley in which she was found. Her head and other body parts were supposedly dumped in Lake Erie. There was some other quote-unquote evidence against Dolezal. You know, they heard that a young woman who was also an alcoholic was a you know suspicious encounter with Dolezal. Um, you know, and, and some other stuff. But basically... He kind of, he ends up dying under like suspicious circumstances while in the prison. Oh. So they never really arrest him or do any other stuff. He never got like. Really kind of hard to tell whether he was actually involved in that murder or not. Yeah. So. Um, in 1997, this is years later, right? People are reviewing this case. It's funny. It's funny to me that they would pick a sub, a suspect like that for right. 
one of the most complicated murders yeah in the whole group mm-hmm. the victim who was the most dismembered yeah but i mean you know he did he did they 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 got it out of him because he went to the same saloon yeah and he was and then they beat the hell out of him when he, he was not a he was also you know a bit of a vagrant and probably right. like a I'm just saying he did have a knife and blood on his fucking floor. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. It's like that. If it was one of the other ones where the only thing that was cut off was like the head and the hands. It's like, oh, right. That might seem like an amateur could maybe do that. But that's one that's very. Complicated. Yeah. Dissected and all this other stuff. Yeah. Sort of like, why is this guy dissecting maybe not people? the most complicated, but one of the most. So in 1997, another theory started to sprout out that maybe there was no single butcher of Kingsbury run. Um, because the murders could have been committed by different people. Because, you know, this was based on the assumption that the autopsy results were kind of inconclusive. Basically, the first coroner, Arthur J. Pierce, may have been inconsistent in his analysis as to whether the cuts on the bodies were expert or slapdash. <laughs> um, then his successor, the, the, the county coroner, Samuel Gerber, who began to kind of enjoy the press atten- attention that he was oh. getting as being the coroner in these Kingsbury Run murders. Um, you know, uh, started to gain or garner a reputation for these sensational theories. And so, and then, you know, obviously Elliot Ness was said to have taken the identity of the killer's name to his grave. And then there's some other stuff and, you know, people kind of ran with it. It was, it was very popular as you can see. Yeah. It's just a kind of goofy, fucked up, messy thing. And I think in, in conclusion, none of these people Realized that that organized and highly intelligent serial killers were impossible to catch with the forensic knowledge and technology available at the times, right? Fucking Scotland Yard and numerous other police experts around the world even volunteered their views on the crime, but nothing worked. Yeah. Nothing led to the killer, right? They never caught anybody. But maybe they should have asked the expert sleuths that are our bunk funkers. And what say you bunk funkers? Was Dr. Sweeney the killer? And if so, how did he escape arrest? How did he get out of that? Or could it have been multiple copycat killers? Was it this Dolezal character? Either way, bunk funkers, there's only one way to ensure the memberment of a non-dis nature of your mind tummies. And that's to consume the whole enchilada. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dino Tripodis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. 
You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good poor. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Right, you think that was good enough? I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. Right. <laughs> Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey, Bunk Bunkers, welcome back. That was Richard to the Cleveland Dorsumers. Resident Ohio expert over here, Art Stone, teaching Andy Hart everything he ever needed to know. Yeah, I didn't realize how little I knew about my home state. Andy, why'd you do it? Why'd you commit those murders? I That was you. I, you, were, you were the one who committed those murders. Don't understand what the big deal is. Life is already impermanent. Sometimes yeah. people have it and sometimes they don't. What's the difference? Yeah. Um, you were salivating at this one, huh? Yeah, I was drooling. You were into this. I there's mustard all over your shirt. Yeah, there is mustard everywhere. Dribble all over my shirt, all over my pants. You know how I dribble mustard. You know when I get excited, I drool mustard onto my shirt. <laughs> You were into this one. You were you're captivated by. I it. was captivated. It's a good story. It's a good story. I, I encourage all of you bunk funkers to read uh Marilyn Bradsley's account of it for crimes, crimeslibrary.com. It uh, was she does a really good job of telling the story from like chronologically. Not yeah. chunked up like we did. Right. But chronologically, where it's like she does a much better job. She does a better job of doing it. Yes. <laughs> 
I realized that after putting together the research that I probably should have done it like that. <laughs> Instead of chunking up like, here's the victims, here's the suspected ones. It's like it should have started. But it's hard. It is hard. When you have these these serial killers yeah. where there's a bunch of earlier suspected victims. Right. Because that's not really the beginning of the story because then you're just kind of telling it like, oh, in at such and such a point, a victim was discovered and they never solved it. Anyway, moving right. on. Right. Then there was this other victim and they never solved it. But here's where it gets really interesting. I don't know, Andy. I mean, it is pretty sus. Um. Yeah, it's very interesting to me because in the break, I was doing a little bit of research here on Congressman Martin Sweeney. Yeah. So Martin Sweeney was an isolationist. Oh, really? So he ran afoul of the Democratic Party um, personally. Because, during World War One. During World War II. Because he was in... Mm-hmm. He was elected, I think, in the mid-30s or early 30s. Was there a big isolationist movement during World War II? Probably, right? Because nobody wanted to get involved in that war. They said, that's Europe's war. It's a European problem. Yeah. Pearl Harbor dragged all the isolationists in. Right. Uh, So Sweeney ended up- Because we were coming out of the Depression. We used World War II as a means of getting out of it because we were like, well, we can make money. We'll open up factories. The whole New Deal- Basically, yeah. like, was like, there's jobs now. We can produce shit. And we gave shit to Europe. Yeah. But we didn't want to get involved. Right. That was, it was very unpopular. I think most of, most of the, most people felt like it was not a good idea to get involved in a European war. Again, because they just come through World War One. Yeah. You know, there were veterans of World War One who were not very old. They hadn't been that long right. since they talking about the, the horrors of war. People yeah. didn't want to get involved in world war one either. Right. So, um, you know, United States before was very isolationist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we want to get involved in everything we, now. Yeah. If there's not a war going, we want to start one. <laughs> that's our, that's our MO. Now <laughs> we, if you have a war, we want to get involved in it. If yeah. there's not a war, let's start one. Yeah. So we, uh, at the time though, very isolationist, like you said, didn't want to get involved in world war one. Uh, and we were like, Fairly limited, you know, in involvement. We came in very late in the war. Uh, it was still horrible, but oh yeah, um, you know, not as obviously we weren't as involved as like France, right, or or Germany yeah, or England, yeah. yeah, and yeah. But in World War Two, is very much the same thing. Is like this is a European problem. Europeans need to sort this out and figure out this issue. So Sweeney, uh, though, got accused of anti-Semitism. Oh boy, as part of all this, uh, his isolationist. He got accused in a paper of being an anti-Semite, and he sued the paper, and he lost. So, <laughs> make of that what you will. Um, Colorful family. So, he then, yeah, eventually, oh, he also got in a fight on the congressional floor in the House of Representatives with a um, Democratic representative from Kentucky who accused, because they put a bill up for a draft, yeah. like a military draft, and he very vocally opposed it on the house floor. And apparently the congressional representative from Kentucky, uh, called him something and then said he was a son of a bitch. And so then they got into a fight and Sweeney got knocked on his ass by the Kentucky congressman. There needs to be more fighting. Yeah. In Congress. They need to box. Yeah. Why is there 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 much more boxing or, or, or cane beating MMA, I would yeah. love to there see more to be an MMA. Octagon. Yeah, let's get an octagon going. That's get, how they, get Bernie in there fighting Ted Cruz. That's how we should settle <laughs> who's going to be the Speaker of the House, yeah. who's going to be the leader in the yeah. Senate. Is It should be through MMA. I mean, 
This is already happening, Bunk Funkers. We have creator clash happening. You have YouTubers fighting each other. Why not congressmen? I mean, and honestly, people have been complaining for a long time. Oh, congressional leadership. It's too old. This is a way. <laughs> yeah. The old people are at a nat natural disadvantage to our younger members of Congress. They already make decisions like they have CTE. Let's actually give them CTE. Let's see AOC take Nancy Pelosi to the mat. That's what we. That's what America wants to see. <laughs> that would be so fucking sick. That'd be so gross. I'd watch C-SPAN. I'd finally fucking watch C-SPAN. Yeah, C-SPAN. Yeah. C-SPAN would finally have a purpose. You know, it's like probably the 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 prime match, the like the very the the headlining match. Yeah, the title, that the would title be card. on that would be on national TV. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. If you want to see the undercards, you gotta watch C-SPAN. There's some good undercards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. So then uh there's yeah, a, yeah there's some colorful characters. So he there. was out of Congress then in the early forties. Um yeah. he um, was not able to, and that was in, he got primaried and lost. So he wasn't even the Democrats, you know, rep so the Democrats at the, to the time general election. were very isolationist or non-isolationist? None. Okay. Because Roosevelt was not. Right. Roosevelt wanted to get involved in the war. The Republicans didn't. Probably not. I mean, I don't think most people did, but. And most people didn't. But it's like the Democrat party was more. Likely to be whatever the opposite of isolationist is. Globalists. Involvalationalists. They were more likely to be globalists. Globalists so, come. But then all he did was practice law until he died in the uh, 1960s. <laughs> so I guess where I'm going with this is Sweeney, as a suspect, why did it evaporate? His, his cousin, who was an outspoken congressperson, you know, ended his congressional career and then just became a practicing attorney in Cleveland. So, yeah, and and, and, and although this would have been multiple years after the murder stopped, when right, that happened. And then by that time, Elliot Ness moves on, right? Mm -hmm. He goes leads the Untouchables, right? Um, which when was that happening, or was that before? I guess that would have been before, right? It would have been in like the, or was it? Yeah, it would have had to be before. When did Al Capone get? arrested he was convicted in 1931 yeah so he was doing all this <laughs> you start reading um like cleveland was kind of like a big downturn in his fucking career like a this lot was of the cleveland kind of like ruins part of his career he says uh his wife and him got divorced uh in 1938 and then he fell out of favor after he had the city's large shanty towns evacuated and burned during the Cleveland Torso murders, um, Cleveland critics targeted his divorce, his high-profile social drinking, and his conduct in a car accident one night when he was driving drunk. Um, he just, I mean, Ness just really starts fucking spiraling out of control after getting involved with these fucking Cleveland Torso murders. So he got transferred to Cleveland in 1934, Ness did. So 1935, like you said, is when he became the city's safety director. Um Let's see. He got divorced in 1938. And. Yeah. The shantytown thing. It kind of ends. Persona non grata. Yeah. He never really catches anybody. He thought he was going to get fired. Because of that car accident. 
Um, then he moved to DC in 1942. Yep. Where he, he directed the battle against prostitution. Hell yeah. In communities surrounding military bases. So he, he, he fucking, the downturn of his career was his time in Cleveland. Like he, oh, wow. you know, then he decided to join the business world where he was a complete failure. Cause he didn't know anything about like corporate business. Uh, then he became uh, chairman of Diebold, which is a security company. You might, Diebold is famous for making the electronic voting machines. Oh. So uh, then he got divorced again, ran for mayor of Cleveland in 47, left Diebold in 1951, unsuccessfully for mayor of Cleveland in 47. He right. Did not win. Uh, you didn't vote for him. In the aftermath, Ness was forced into taking various odd jobs to earn a living including bookstore clerk and wholesaler of electronic parts and frozen hamburger patties. Jesus. Wow. Cleveland really fucked his career. God damn. What a fall. Wow. Don't ever go to Cleveland. By 1956, he came to work for a startup company called Guarantee Paper Corporation, which claimed to have a new method of watermarking legal and official documents to prevent counterfeiting. Ness was offered the job because of his expertise in law enforcement, and he moved to Cowdersport, Pennsylvania. He was a drunk. Then the company began to fall apart. Because one of his business partners was crooked. And then he died penniless in 1957. Jesus Christ. 54 years old. God damn, his life sucks. Fuck. Wow. Wow. That that just shows you what going to Ohio will do to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't ever go to Ohio. Stay out. You had he had a promising career. Took down the biggest mobster in Chicago. He went doesn't from, matter what he actually fucking did. Because <laughs> you know, I think there's a whole bunch of shit with whether he, like he they got Al Capone on fucking the shittiest. It was tax the, it was that IRS guy that did all the work, right? All Elliot Ness did was show up at the movie theater, right? So it doesn't matter. He was a fucking star child. Yeah, he was a hero. Could have gone anywhere. I'm going to take this job in Cleveland. No, motherfucker. Stay away. Well, he got transferred <laughs> and then he got hired. So, so that's because he was, because he was like Mr. Moonshine Buster. Right. After Al Capone. Right. And then so he Cleveland to, had a big problem with moonshining. He switched to busting up uh, moonshiners. I can see where this case would drive you mad because, you know, again, not to get ahead of our verdicts, but Sweeney is a very strong argument. Very strong argument. Man, we're going to have to ask, was Elliot Ness even a fucking good cop at all? Well, but then you have to kind of, like, again, like I kind of said up top, and it even says in his bio that we were reading from, is his involvement, you know, how involved was he? Yeah. Well, how involved was he? Because it's like, is it more of just his lore and his reputation being added on after the fact? Mm-hmm. There is one thing we didn't mention in the research, which is that apparently at one point in time, the killer dumped two of the bodies within eyesight of his his office, the public safety director's office. Like, they dumped two bodies there. Um, You know, Ness did interview him and did, did interrogate him. Yeah. He was alone with him. I'd say he was pretty involved. Yeah, seems like it. And I think, you know, and we've, I don't want to get in, again, I don't want to get the verdicts, but it's like, mm, I think they had the guy. Yeah. Maybe. Mm. 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 Any of the other guys ever holding it? Beefers. 
Beefers? What do you think? One person, multiple people, copycat killers? I think this this reads to me textbook serial killer. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I think it's just one person. Yeah. I think that I am even willing to say that for this purpose, that Lady of the Lake murder is a proto-mad butcher killing before the killings really ramp up. And then there's that really active streak between, what, 1936 and 1938. Yes. Where there's so many bodies found. Although it's, this is a very, you can tell that this is a very methodical, thoughtful killer because they find so little evidence. The bodies are, well, like you pointed out in the research, the killer learns from their mistakes. Yeah. To help the bodies, it seems very much like a serial killer because it seems very much like a game for the killer. Yeah. So I'd say somebody called Drowning Pool because these bodies are hitting the floor. (laughs) Yeah. So stupid. But you're right. You're right. (laughs) Yeah, I am right. So to me, I think this is just the this is the work of one person. One one very specific person. I think there are some some copycat kills later on. I would say maybe a few of these, because you know, they find some of these, they're so you know, decomposed. But I think you're right. I think we gotta also like consider the fact that like these murders on the train line in Pennsylvania. Yeah. This the murder swamp killers. Murder swamp. Murder swamp. So we gotta consider that. People do fucked up shit all the time everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's not just necessarily like, oh, I mean, there is a geographic component to that. I can understand why the mad butcher is suspected there and maybe it's connected. But, yeah. um, you know, it's also possible that there's just some other fucking sicko doing similar These things. These were national news. Uh, people yeah. were hearing about this all over. Yeah. So you never know. There could have been some weird fucking copycat killers going on. Yeah, some um, people some people like get off on that notoriety and they think I could oh, be yeah. that way. I mean, serial killers do. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's, it, I, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a horrible thing. It just sucks. It seems like, um, Yeah. Here's a question for you. Yeah. If you had to be murdered. I have no choice. You know, no choice. You know, you're going to be murdered. How do you want to be murdered? Oh God. I actually think beheading would be not that bad. If the person was good at it, they got to be good at it. But if they're not good at it, then like, you're fucked. Guillotine. Yeah. Sign me up for that. Yeah. Cause that's like a blink of an eye and you're done. High ceiling, low floor on that one. Yeah. Like guillotine for me on a on a beheading. Yeah, top of the top of the line. A guillotine raises the floor. Yeah. So you would have been a want to be part of the French Revolution. You would have been a French aristocrat. Yeah, I would have been like, yeah, let them. That's how you let say, them eat cake because that's what I mean. Cake. No, they get their own fucking cake. This is my goddamn cake. Nobody takes my cake. I'd fight them for that. You'd be a and great then they kill me. French aristocrat. Yeah, I would be because I'm already fucking hedonist. Yeah, I just don't have enough money to support myself. So if I had all the wealth and power of being a French aristocrat, yeah, you better believe I would stomp all over the common people to live my hedonistic dreams. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, guillotine, pretty good for me as a I, murder. I don't know if I'm going to go with decapitation, my friend. Um, 
you know what? I wouldn't want to get shot because it's too unpredictable. You can't shoot me all uh, in every possible way that guarantees that I die right away. Cause that's what I want. If I'm going to be murdered, I want to die right away. Can I get a chemical injection? Sure. <laughs> Can I get poisoned? Sure. <laughs> this is your murder. This is a choose your own adventure murder. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to turn to page 69 and get chemically killed. Oh, you're right. Good good point. I want to die from sex. <laughs> Exploding heart. Yeah, I want, I want to pass out during sex yeah. at the moment of climax and just never wake up. <laughs> no, um, I, I, don't, I don't think I want to be beheaded because I don't think anyone's going to guillotine me. You doubt the skill. Very of the beheader because if they can't get through the, the neck all the way you're sitting that's, there that's then it it goes it goes from being really good to being really fucking horrible really yeah, fast yeah because as soon as they don't get through the neck you're like oh fuck <laughs> that's why they finish me off the guillotine was so revolutionary and and led yeah. to i think the french revolution being 10 times worse than it originally was because i think originally they were just fucking lopping heads off and that shit didn't always work no the axe would get stuck. You'd have to sharpen it. Yeah. It was fucked up. Yeah, you got to have a sharp blade. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with a chemical route. That's a pretty good one. That's a good idea. Yeah. Chemical Brothers. Um, Would you consider f- being dropped from a really high height? No. Fuck no. Because if you get high enough up, you'll die before you ever hit the ground. What do you mean? You hit terminal velocity and you just die. Your body body can't take the like stress. The G force? Or like your neck snaps or whatever. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. How high up? I don't know. I don't know what the it would have to be really high. But like people fall out of planes and they don't die. Yeah, but it just it all depends. Like people that were jumping out of the World Trade Center yeah. at nine eleven, like a lot of those people were dead before they ever hit the ground. They die on the way down. I don't I don't understand that. Because you jump out of a plane that's higher up than the building, right? Also, you know, if you do go from a high height, you probably would pass out if you're high enough. And then you hit the ground with enough velocity to just die. Okay, bunk funkers who are smarter than us. Egghead yeah. bunk funkers out there. Let us know. What's going on? When you jump out of a plane, why aren't you dying? How low is that plane? Is the plane lower than those buildings? I don't know. You got to tell me. I don't know either. I'm looking tell at you. Tell me these specific scenarios. I'm looking at you. Yeah. I'm not the one saying you survive plane jumping out of a plane. Uh, well, what about you? You gonna get thrown out of a fucking tall place? Mm, I don't know. I'd consider it. I do think your chemical injection idea is probably the best. Hell yeah, the optimal. This is like a guarantee. Just puts you to sleep. Yeah, you just go to sleep and you just never, never wake up. Easy peasy, baby. Yeah. Good way to die. Anyway, uh, bunkfuckers, anyway, happy fucking Wednesday. I uh, hope you all are well out there. I know. Um, <laughs> hope your days Christ. are going good. Hope your days going Let us well. know how you'd like to be murdered. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Andy. I don't know. Maybe we should just get to verdicts here. I want to get to verdicts because I'm get chomping at the bit here. Chomp at your bit, you little horsey. <laughs> let's hear Let's hear what you got to say. I, I am going hard on this one and i'm going case fucking confirmed whoa frank sweeney is the goddamn cleveland torso holy murderer. he's shit. the mad butcher of uh 
of uh, that place. Kingsbury Run. Kingsbury Run. There you go. Forgot it. Wow. I'm going to tell you, this thing gives me very hard H.H. Hard. Holmes vibes. Whoa. And that's another example of a medical doctor who murdered people. He was the devil in the white city. Devil in the white city. I think that Sweeney fits that profile of an H.H. H. Holmes type. And look, to me, I said it during the research. To me, I don't think that the person who's committing these murders is at Kingsbury Run. I am not surprised even a little that Elliot Ness's stupid hobo shanty raid didn't turn up an elaborate body cleansing, draining, decomposing facility. It's not shocking to me. Why would it be there? Everyone that lives there probably would have known about it. The police probably would have been getting tips galore about the weird guy that lives down on Kingsbury Run who's always got a fucking aroma coming out of his shanty. How would people not notice it? All of these decomposing fucking bodies. So Sweeney gives... Oh, you mean the guy where blood's pooling out of his tent? Yeah, where there's like blood everywhere and he's got all these bags of lye in the back and stuff and all these weird chemicals and he's got all these super sharp knives and stuff. That guy? That guy? You think? That guy you think? You think? I don't know. He's pretty nice. He seems good to me. But, like, it doesn't make sense to me that they would say, oh, this has got to be somebody who lives in Kingsbury Run. Yeah. But Sweeney's this weird intersection of all these things. He lived at Kingsbury Run. He He works at Kingsbury Run. Like, he's he's not just somebody, an interloper coming in there from out of nowhere. He's a Kingsbury Run person. Like, he probably knows these people. So when they see him around... They probably don't think anything of it because like, oh, his dad lives down the street or whatever. And he works there. Yeah, he knows everything about it. Yeah. So it's not weird. But he's also separated enough that he's got a home. He's got someplace else he could go where he could do commit murders and drain bodies of blood and decompose them. He probably had connections to morgues. Yeah. a surgeon, right? What do you do when you're patient dies you have to take your body somewhere so yeah he likely had a connection no one's gonna ask questions i mean he's a known surgeon so he's writing prescriptions for 30 years after he's not fucking practicing medicine anymore he's right you know like i don't think the oversight at this time was that great right i mean it's so oh yeah that was dr sweeney he needed a body uh hasn't he been fired from the hospital 20 years ago oh yeah (laughs) forgot about that i guess he did get fired for being a raging drunk he only got fired like Three years before he started committing murders. Well, the year he got fired and let go, he started committing murders, right? Yeah. They all connected at 1934. Yeah. His wife leaves him, gets kicked out of the hospital. It's murders. It's like you said, it's his lowest point is exactly when the he murders He likely start. committed all those murders in a very short span. Yeah. And then they're found. Obviously, some of the bodies were later. very decomposed. Yeah. So... So you have a morgue. You have. It's not. I mean, how hard is it to find a corrupt morgue, right? Or I don't know some other kind of place where you can hike, hack and slash a body up. Yeah, and we don't know the state of the morgues in Cleveland at this time. Maybe there are morgues that had just plenty of space, and it's like, right? He's a doctor. He's a surgeon. Brings a body in. Nobody thinks anything of it. I think that he's like the perfect suspect. He's literally is the perfect suspect. And I get it that they didn't have enough evidence. Like they didn't have enough evidence for anything, honestly. Right. But he's the, he's like the one suspect probably that they wouldn't be able to beat a confession out of. Cause he's like smart enough to, you know, 
he's not going to crumble. He's enough of a psychopath that. Yeah. So it's kind of like he's the he's the he's the perfect suspect, but he's also from a law enforcement standpoint, like a horrible suspect when you're going to completely rely on him actually confessing to it because you can't put any evidence otherwise. You, you still probably wouldn't be able to solve these crimes for another fucking what? 40 years after they've been committed. I mean, people were still flummoxed by son of Sam in the seventies. Yeah. The only thing that maybe would have saved it is if they could have gone to like, if they found like where Sweeney was doing the work on the bodies. Yeah. Like if that was like a discreet place, like not at a hospital, not at a, medical facility like if he had a private place where he was doing this stuff then i think people like that that would have been a huge break and that probably would have sealed his fate as for why they didn't pursue it i'm gonna go out on a limb this is not really like part of my verdict but i'm gonna guess that it was political pressure yeah that they just didn't pursue it because they didn't have enough evidence and it would have been very like you know, they would have probably taken it to trial and they knew they didn't have enough evidence. So it's this big black eye on okay. the Sweeney family. So you think that's that's a good that's a good verdict too to include is why do you think they didn't pursue him? You think it's because why do we think they didn't pursue the suspect? We think right. so. Yeah. OK, so, yeah, I think that, it's either did the family step in? Did they make it? You, so you don't think they made a deal with Sweeney. You think that his congressman cousin stepped in and said, listen, I'll send him to the fucking hospital. You don't press him. I'm thinking that if backwater deal, if Martin Sweeney got the police force to shy away from giving Frank Sweeney more scrutiny at one point, I'm thinking that they knew like Ness knows I don't have the evidence straight up to convict this guy and I'm probably not going to get it because now he knows so I'm probably not going to get this evidence unless we kind of shot as one shot, right? Unless we watch him all the time for the rest of his life, I'm not going to get enough evidence to convict this guy of these murders. So I can either push this and like try for it and maybe not get it, but maybe we do, but then it's like super embarrassing for the family. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking he's doing this calculus of like, Oh, if I, if I piss off Martin Sweeney, then it's a huge like embarrassment for me, especially if we don't get him convicted. So it's not worth pursuing because we're not gonna, you know, be able to convict him maybe anyway. And I'm going to have to face all this public ridicule from this loudmouth Congress guy. So they just choose not to do it. And then murders stop. So I don't know that they had a deal. I don't, you know, it doesn't seem to me like there was maybe, I don't have any evidence to say that there was a deal that they did a deal with Sweeney they said like okay you you commit yourself to like going into rehab like living in these VA hospitals and then we'll uh we'll not pursue you anymore I just don't think they had the evidence and so then it's like the murders stop so how does he go to the hospital he just checks himself in yeah right you can do that probably yeah yeah. But on his own accord, he goes, all right, I'll go. I don't know. I kind of feel like he was already there to me. It just seems like, okay, he has no, he has no life, but now he's got the added thing of like from Sweeney's perspective, from Frank Sweeney's perspective. Now he knows that they know that he did it. So if he commits more murders, there's always this chance of you screw up 
He'll be surveilled the rest of his life. Right. Like he knows that if he, like if they find another body, like he's, they're going to come talking to him about it right away. Like it's not going to be a, you have some time to like, you know, and that might get them to like step up the investigation. To me, it's just like, this was the most convenient thing for everybody was to just like, okay, let's all drop it. Even though that's pretty unsatisfying if you're like the family of a victim. Well, that's the thing. Maybe there was a deal. I don't know. I think, well, obviously I 100% echo your verdict. I'm case confirmed as well. It is without a doubt, Frank Sweeney. Yeah. Uh, You've got just the motive is there. The fucking, the ability is there. The, the, the timeline works out. The, it's hard to shoot holes in him as a suspect. so hard. And like him being in Sandusky, all the people are like, yeah, that guy was, that guy fucking murdered people. Like, you know, people <laughs> corroborate the story. Um, and the, the fucking postcards later in life, like he's sitting there tormenting Elliot Ness, sending him postcards. Like, why would he be doing that? Yeah. I, I think I agree with you that there probably wasn't a deal. Although now, as we learned, it was probably super easy to dunk on Elliot Ness after that. So I guess the guy had a lot of ammunition. I heard about your fucking failed business venture again, you stupid dumbass. Guess you're as shitty a business person as you are a cop. <laughs> Fuck you. Signed the butcher of Kingsbury Run. AKA Frank. With love. Wink. Wish you were here. XOXO. In Dayton. Um... <laughs> I, I think I agree with you that there was no deal struck because it's like somebody would have brought that up. I think I think you're right. I think if there's nothing to say if Elliot Ness writes in a biography later in his life, you know, and we all agreed to just drop it. Like there's no, that would be like the worst thing he could say. Yeah, it's it's sort of like it would be a good, or it'd be like a, not satisfying ending if this was a TV show where at the end, like they don't catch, they obviously know it's the killer. It's almost like kind of not to spoil it, but it's a little bit like true detective season one Mm -hmm. where they don't really get into, they, they just, they fail. They don't, they're not able to get into the high level, you know, organization who's causing it. They just get the fucking low ground guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, it's an unsatisfying ending where our heroes didn't catch the killer. It, but it is very real where they're just, I think you're right. They're just sort of like, I think the best thing here is just for, you know, we got you. We know it's you. We'll fucking follow you. We'll surveil you the rest of your life. Like, I think they just go, listen, get yourself up to a fucking hospital. Stop all this. Like, we know it's you. Yeah. I think he knows he was caught. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me, though, that somebody who is that much of a killer won't will just stop killing once they've been caught. That is weird to me. Um, but I guess that does happen in a way. The Dennis Rader. Yeah. He stopped for a long time. Stopped for a long time. And then what? He didn't even get caught because he killed again. He got caught because he wanted to taunt the press again. Yeah. And then they they I think they like raided his church computer. Yeah, because he sent it. He like saved it on a. A disc. Right. And so they could trace it back to the church computer. Right. Which is maybe the most fucked up thing of all is that you write a letter to taunt the police about murders that you did in the past from your church computer. 
Like murdering people <laughs> is pretty fucked up. Yeah. But then the fact that you go to the church fucking computer. Murdering people is fucked up, but abusing the gifts given to the church is even, I think, the bigger crime. <laughs> Not that, that is, what I'm saying. Public, Don't twist my words. That is church property to be used for looking up Bible verses only. I'm just saying, it's like, <laughs> this is, it's so fucked up to go use the church computer <laughs> to taunt the police, to write a letter to taunt the police. Yes, it is. Yes. It's supposed to be a good thing. It was probably donated, you know, which with church payer money. Right. He probably, he he's probably, his donations went to buy that computer. Right. And everyone else's. And then he's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to taunt the police. I don't have a computer of my own, but I know where I can use one at the church. I think You're it just right. goes to show the uh, like that's like a very serial killery thing, though, right? Like, yes. No respect for any level of like decency. Yes. And, it's just and like just the, just the, unempathy. The with... goal is just like I have to write this taunting letter to the press. Right. It doesn't matter where I get a computer. So I think you're right. And I think, you know, obviously he is a struggling alcoholic. Probably his his health deteriorated to the point where, I mean, he probably wasn't capable of doing the killings anymore. So I think yeah. you're right. But unequivocally, I agree. Case confirmed. It is Sweeney. I think you're right. I don't think there was a deal involved. I think knowing what they knew about the, the congressman cousin and that they just knew they weren't going to succeed. It wasn't going to go anywhere. They weren't going to be able to get a trial. They didn't have any real substantial evidence. They could have pursued it further, but it's like, plus, you weren't going to be able to, like, like he's not going to tell you, he's not going to cooperate. I guess if we put this, too, in context of Elliot Ness himself, he's he fucked up by doing this shantytown raid. He doesn't do the shantytown raid till after. But, the shantytown raid is the last thing he does. Right. But they could, if they if they wanted to pursue it further, he lost all his political capital doing that. Right. Yes. So he, he wasn't. He fucked up. Yeah. So he fucked up. If they wanted to go after him, at the end of the day, like he fucked up by doing that, and then he ruined his like political ability to stand up to Martin Sweeney. Well, bunk funkers, those were our verdicts on the Cleveland Torso murders. Let us know what you think. Yeah, Who's the killer. Come at us. Shit all over us for these takes. <laughs> Uh, use the hashtag. Ooh, wow. Um, fuck. Cleveland rocks. Uh, hashtag Cleveland steamer. Now, for you bunk fuckers who don't know, mm. that's when you let somebody take a dump on your chest. That's right. So uh, take a dump on our chest. I actually think the Cleveland steamer is where you wrap your chest in plastic wrap first, right? And then somebody takes a dump on it. And then the hot Carl is the reverse where somebody takes a dump and then you wrap it in plastic wrap. Yeah. Either way, it's a hot shit. Yeah. It's It's steaming. A hot steaming. Fresh from the body. Does shit come out of your body hot? Yeah. Really? Everything inside your body's hot. Yeah. Next time you take a shit, put your hand out there. (laughs) And you'll feel that it's 98.6 degrees. I love that band. You don't think about that a lot, but the blood comes out of your body hot too. True. Hot blood. Like if you go get blood drawn, you notice there's condensation inside those uh, little tubes. Jesus Christ. Bunk fuckers, I'm I'm literally interviewing the Cleveland Torso murderer as we fucking speak. Listen to what this guy's saying. Anyway, I was, I was arrested. Uh, I was arrested in Cleveland a few years back. Uh, I was the Cleveland torso blower because I was going around giving people raspberries. <laughs> I would just lift up their shirts and blow on their tummies. 
Use the hashtag Cleveland Steamer. Let us know what you think. Email us, MrBuckerPod at gmail.com. Find us, Twitter and Instagram, at MrBuckerPod. If you feel so inclined, you have the means to do so. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash MrBuckerPod. Five bucks a month will get you access to the Bunker Discord, behind the scenes, uh, Patreon-only content, 40-plus hours, videos. Um, Bonefuckers, have you noticed that Art, when he's shilling for the Patreon, he often says behind the scenes, and just, then he stops himself? It's because it's not behind the scenes. It's it's Patreon-only content. Yeah. It's not behind the scenes. Yeah. Content. It's just content that we only release on Patreon, and so <laughs> behind the scenes, you can get a live feed of Art editing the episode You're not gonna silently get by himself yeah. while he's wearing headphones. Yeah. Scrolling through Reddit while listening to me and Andy fucking jabber on. <laughs> Deleting the empty space and the weird, awkward breaths that we both take. <laughs> um, Bunkfunkers, let us know. Um, Andy, that is it for the Cleveland Torso Murderers. What a lovely trip to Ohio. Wow, geez, Art. I just want to say thank you. You've been a real, honestly, um, recently you've been a real guide to Ohio for me because you taught me about the Loveland Frogman. That's right. You taught me about the Cleveland Torso Murders. I love highlighting horrible things about Ohio. Yeah, and it's really nice. So I'm going to do for you what you've done for me, and I'm going to start focusing more on horrible things about Chicago <laughs> that I can bring up. Well, I'm sh- you'll well struggle, it's hard to find them, though. Struggle to find anything. Boy, this is a city with a really sterling <laughs> reputation historically. <laughs> it's tough to find negative things about Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, bug bookers, uh, hopefully Andy never reads the jungle. But uh, anyway, uh, for not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my carapace. <laughs> I know that one. Carapace co-host, Andy Hart. Yeah. I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. I'm just an empty shell. Exoskeleton. No bug inside of me. Brunch. <laughs> Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on fabulously delicious the french food podcast bon app